Uh, so, like I said, if I go robot this time, like, stop me so I can, like, stop and restart the uh, sound service. Like I service. did last time? Yes, and this time I will actually believe you because it, okay. it it's a thing. Just say it. Just want to make sure. Okay. <laughs> just want to make sure we know who was right that time. I Hey, I, I totally copped to it on the show, so. <laughs> nah, I know. <laughs> Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that only needs one show to talk about seven books. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. Uh, no Richard as of yet. Again, his work schedule is a bit wonky, although we are reserving a uh, possibility that he may drop in later. Uh, if you can't tell by our voices, this is a Skype episode, uh, mostly due to weird scheduling conflicts. Also, the fact the winter has decided to show up about two months early. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Winter in Arizona is relative, I imagine. It's fair. 75 degrees today, baby. Uh, <laughs> we're supposed to get snow, so there. Yeah, we're talking like one to three inches of snow. Yeah. <laughs> Not even Halloween yet. It's pretty much going to put the kibosh on uh, trick-or-treating around here. Uh, my sister uh, in Spokane got snow two weeks ago. See? So it Don't could always be could worse. send some of that to you? No, not at all. <laughs> not well, at all i was gonna say there was a week early like the first weekend of this month so technically it was like the last day of september we were relocating stuff into the new storage unit for the con and it was 90 degrees <laughs> and then like later that week was when like north dakota and colorado got hit with a blizzard yep and it, like everything's only dropped to like 50 degrees here and now everything's dropping to like it's going to be in the 20s overnight so yay well maybe we can get all this cold weather out of the way so when we go up to minnesota in november it'll be warm relatively no, it's not, dennis it's i like i like your optimism i'm really <laughs> hoping that's that the works. case <laughs> <sighs> so uh anyway our topic today we are going to be talking about the uh we're going to kind of try to redo the cursed episode just a little bit, and uh, we're carefully monitoring our sound situation so that if uh, I go total robot, we'll uh, figure out a way to fix it and keep moving forward. Uh, but uh, we are going to talk Space Marines now that we have six supplements and the Codex out. So we've got a much more uh, holistic total view of uh, Space Marines, although... Uh, we, well, there's a few things we'll talk about, both between uh, news and new releases and, uh, when we get to the actual books themselves. But as always, like I said, we will have news and new releases and, uh, your listener mail. News and new releases, we've got still sisters coming down the pipe. Uh, they just released an article, I think today or yesterday about, uh, uh, Cherubim. Nice, uh, the, uh, the new cherubs. Yeah, th those I don't know what to think about them. They're I don't creepy. know if they're going to be the units at I kind of I kind of hope they're like the nerglings that they did for Death Guard cuz like in every Death Guard unit there was like one or two little nerglings that had like 
personality. Like there was a Nurgling wearing a space Marine helmet. There was a Nurgling that was like holding a stick bomb and things like that. I kind of hope that the cherubs that they put for, for sisters and potentially going forward for any of the Imperial factions all have like that weird personality and humor in it. Cause I think that's funny. Well, did those Nurglings have any play benefit or no, they no, they were there? purely set dressing to put on. Most like, of them are purely, and... purely ornamental. Um, and like there are, there are already rules for cherubs currently. Like there's ammo cherubs and stuff like that. And they mentioned in the article that like repentia and not repentia, uh, uh, retributors, retributors are going to have like access to air, ammo cherubs, like space Marines do. And so like that, so there will be some limited utility. I imagine that there may be one or two. That's like a familiar, that like lets you cast an extra psychic power or something, but most of them are just going to be ornamental. Yeah, which, and and was- to keep in mind, like uh, the way like the armorium cherub works for space marines is you do represent it by a model, but the model doesn't count as being part of a unit. It's not targetable. It just the the token has to be within two inches to illustrate that it is available, but it doesn't count for anything otherwise. And once you spend it, then it goes away, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, so, you just remove yeah, it from play. I expect it'll be like that, where it's like, or, you know, psychic familiars, where it's like, it's here, ignore it for all purposes other than you have something to represent that you have a familiar. Or like uh, Azrael and his Watcher from the Dark mm-hmm. that carries around the Lion Helm. Yep. So it's, it's the, yeah, it's the same kind of thing. It's just, uh, it, it's basically a model that acts as a token, but it's a nice decorative arm. And it's nothing new. I've got, cherubs that in the same vein in metal that were released with like inquisitors way back when these new ones look way creepier though (laughs) oh no no the old ones looked pretty damn creepy too i mean flying babies with skull heads is nothing new for 40k so true 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 but they're not actually babies no but they they do mechanicus developed life forms they're tiny danny devitos (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> may I ha- may I offer you a bolter clip in these trying times? Uh, yeah. Why don't you set the bolter clip on the ground and I'll pick it up? <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, and also speaking, like we we know the sisters codex and army box, or at least the army box with codex. I don't know if we have a date on the codex being released standalone i think as so far it's just being released with the army box but that is coming in november we still don't have anything more concrete than that however we do know that sisters are going to be in the next psychic awakening book Woo-hoo! along with black templars along with um several chaos legions yeah um alpha legion world bear word bearers um emperor's children i believe were the three yeah, I, I thought there was going to be six Chaos and six Imperium. Oh, is, this, is it that many? Uh, I have to go back and look at the video. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot. There's a lot in this next one. Yeah, because they yeah, just have like, like Sisters, they... Templars, I think Inquisition, and then three Space Marine chapters, and then six Chaos chapters. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, it want, makes me wonder if that's all going to be in one book or if that's going to be like two books. Hey, I read a lot I... of, granted, rumors and our, our standard policy for rumors. <laughs> um, 
I've heard a lot of varying rumors about this next one of like, oh, there's going to be an Emperor's Children versus Black Templar starter box. There's going to be no starter box. There's going to be no new units. There's going to be a whole range of Inquisition units. So like I it's kind of interesting that like there's so little information at this point that's confirmed or like reliably sourced that this will be a fun wave. Yeah, it's. It's hard to say because it's like, is the Sisters Army box going to take the place of a box set that goes with this? Yeah. Or I could see, uh, like, if they decide to new, do new noise marine, kind of like how they had in Blood of the Phoenix, new, you know, uh, new Incubi and new Howling Banshees. What if they did, um, you know, uh, like new Black Templar character, like Primaris versions of characters and new noise marines? And like a Lucius like model a, or something, or like well for for Templars, this is an interesting and this is a spitball idea. No, nothing to back this up. Build like a new like Crusader Primaris Crusader squad. That'd be like, awesome. Here's like you know and like new Crusader squads are now you can mix in ten Primaris and you know and ten of normal Marines or ten of Scouts. Um, and like hey, here's your ten Assault Marines, uh, prim- Primaris Assault Marines along with whatever other support. And then on this side, here's your new noise Marines plus whatever other support. It could be neat. I don't know if they'll do it, but it could be neat. (laughs) Also, they keep, they keep dropping hints and they have for the last year or two of Fulgrim coming. So, Hey, if Emperor's children are involved, I would love to see a Fulgrim model. That would be awesome. Fulgrim coming (laughs) y'all. Yeah, no, I I would love that. Yeah, and with uh, the uh, word bearers being involved, maybe they'll actually put the uh, Slanesh model, all, all the data sheets, in a hardcover book, kind of like the Inari are in a hardcover yeah. book now. Yeah, no, I imagine that. So, so part of me until until Dennis pointed out that there were twelve factions in this next wave, whichever you know, one or two books, I kind of thought that just putting two and two together that. Maybe the Sisters Codex is going to be released in the next Psychic Awakening, where it's like, hey, you buy the book and here's the full codex for Sisters. If you want the full codex separate, buy this box, whatever, and it's there as well. But maybe that's a way to get Sisters in both things. But man, with 12 factions, I don't that's a lot to print in one book or two books. So, yeah, Loyalist, Sisters of Battle, Astra Militarum, Salamanders, White Scars, Black Templars, Chaos, Emperor's Children, Alpha Legion, Iron Warriors, Word Bearers, World Eaters and Night Lords. And uh, it's being teased as Faith and Fury. I would 100% love new Berserkers, but, you know, whatever. (laughs) It's just me. That's just me, apparently. This is after (laughs) they did the, uh, like, here's how you can kitbash Berserkers out of the new Chaos Space Marine kit. I know they're not going to do new Berserkers at this point, but still. really nice. I mean, that is an ancient, ancient kit. It's, yeah, it's literally one of, well. I say it's one of the oldest troops now, but there's still Eldar troops that are yeah. older. But yeah, it's one of the oldest plastic kits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, I, I'm excited to see what they do with it. I I, I know we kind of came out, I think, a little lukewarm on the first book. And I think partially that was because it didn't feel like a... Like it, it it felt more like a a mini codex supplement rather than a campaign book because you didn't really have the feeling of these armies going against each other. And I'll I'll be one hundred percent honest. I was kind of lukewarm on it, lukewarm on it because I don't give a shit about the armies. <laughs> so right, and, <laughs> and that was it. Really felt like we said, if you played one of those armies, yes, yeah. the book is awesome. If you didn't, it's a pass. 
And, and honestly, this one's will be the same way if you like if you it's play gearing up to feel that way. Yeah, yeah. If you yeah. play Mechanicus or Grey Knights or Tau or Orcs, yeah. yeah, this book is it will probably not be anything for you, but this will have much wider appeal because of just the sheer number of armies. Although that also raises the question of how much coverage will each of these armies get? Two or three pages. Because like an 80 page book and half of it's going to be fluff and it's like, what are the other, you know, what are these 11 to 12 factions going to get? Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to put in one book. It is. Or even two books if it is two books. I, it, you know, uh, two books would be fine, but I, I don't think they're going to do that. I think it's it'll be one. May, it might be thicker than than uh, Phoenix Rising. Now, what would be interesting, and and again, like, because we know that there's, we know there's a full codex coming out for Sisters soon, so I imagine that they'll be in the book, and it'll probably be a reprint of maybe the new units and stuff. So maybe there won't be that much in there, but like maybe that's what they'll do for Slanesh. Like at the same time, they'll release a Slanesh Demons update or something, or put all the new units there in print, and then I don't know. There's a there's so many different ways they could do it. I I'm. I'm interested to see how they handle it because this is going to give us kind of the roadmap for the rest of, of Psychic Awakening. Yeah. Let's see. What else? Uh, speaking of psychic things, the new White Dwarf has rules for Sisters of Silence in it. Yep. And uh, I wish I could say more about it, but if you've read the index version, you've read these. Yeah. It's a little bit disappointed. I, I like the Sisters of Silence models. I think it's a cool faction and it still kind of remains unplayable. I mean, like, there there was a little extra put in the fluff. Yeah. But I, and I didn't check all the points to see if the... But how they play looks exactly the same. Yeah. So it just felt like an update to get them out of the index. Which I mean, and I think that's... Yeah, and I think that's the big takeaway is that the indexes are clearly going away sooner rather than later. Uh, because they're hinting at next month that's going to be the Inquisition to get the White Dwarf update. So with Legacy, or not Legacy, but Legends coming, yeah. that's kind of, I think, them announcing that, then phasing out everything, putting everything they want to keep in from the indexes into White Dwarfs. I mean, because we, we effectively got our Yanari update out of the index last month in Phoenix Rising. We well, got it was in White Dwarf before that too, but well, yes. Uh, but I mean, but we have it in print somewhere, like in physical Correct. print somewhere other than the than in the index. This gives us our sisters of silence up updates. Inquisition next month. At that point, the indexes will have been updated for everything, right? Right. Because I mean, once the once the sisters book is out, and that even if it's only a limited edition included in this box set for now book. It'll still be out there and it, it's still considered, yeah, out, index version is, well, the index version is technically out of date with the beta rules they did in True. last year's uh, chapter approved. But yeah, the, at that point, I think Legion of the Damned will be the one thing that remains. Meh, who cares? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I'll be Legion of the Damned. I think they're pretty much slated for Legends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you the last time I even saw a Legion of the Damned on the table. So, I mean, they're very cool looking, but yeah, yeah super cool, cool concepts. Yeah. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, so I and it will be interesting to see if any of these stuff like are if like chapter approved ends up including 
any of the stuff that's been in White Dwarf, again, just to get it into another book. Or if we're going to get like Inquisition in a Psychic Awakening book, maybe closer towards the, will. maybe closer towards the end, since the main like the narrator for a lot of these videos is an Inquisitor, right? Yeah. So like eventually we'll be in a in a hardcover book, but for right now, like like I said, it's it's out of the index, and you know, so good enough for now. And hey, if they do it at the end, you can launch it as you could potentially relaunch that model line too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And maybe with some of the Inquisition narrators, that would Mm -hmm. be cool. That'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, Oh, and we had a couple of I don't want to say emergency FAQs because they were kind of like right on (laughs) schedule, but they seemed timely (laughs) considering what's been going on. Uh, We got Raven Guard and Iron Hands. Uh, FAQs uh, slash yeah. errata, which it was interesting with the Iron Hands one because it dropped and there were no like real meaningful changes. And then like a few hours later, it dropped again and was updated with a few yeah. tweaks. Someone, uh, someone, I think I accidentally posted the beta version. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. and- I mean, we'll talk more about those when we get into the, the Space Marine stuff, but uh, it it doesn't nerf bat the army into oblivion like everybody on line said it does, but it's some significant changes it, it, to how they it, play. It changes some builds, but it also like the you know, when somebody wrote in, you know, we had a listener write in last episode and ask like you know, what makes them resilient, and we're like, Well, it's not really they're resilient, it's their firepower output. Mm-hmm. This doesn't change that at all. No, they're they're still top tier. They're just not there's there's no no longer a build that you can just put out there that is unbeatable because for a while like those there were several builds that were just you couldn't beat them and it's and we've had this before and you know with like the custodes you know air air force or the uh, castellan like there were combinations of things that just were better and just were too good so i'm glad that they toned it down it's a little bit frustrating that it takes away some of the things that are traditionally Iron Hands, like, specific, where, like, your Dreadnoughts all get these extra bonuses, and you get characters, and it kind of sucks that that stuff gets taken away a little bit, and now they're just, like, uh, you know, stick, you know, they're basically just a regular Marine army that shoots a lot, yeah, as opposed to, like, the army that gets all of the other things, um, but for game balance, it needed to happen, it was, they were too good. No, you're absolutely right, and, uh, Although I will say it was kind of nice to see that Iron Hands did not end up while they were cleaning up like a couple of weeks ago, they did not win uh, SoCal Open. Yeah, it was, um, uh, Brian Pullen with Tau won. Yeah, wow. so Tau uh, Tau Shield drones, man, still still good, <laughs> still good, still borderline broken. Um, but yeah, we'll still continue to abuse them. I mean, it's the one trick you got, so use the hell out of it's it. It's a good trick. It's a good trick. Yeah, um, like 200 and let's see here, 220 people at the event, which is crazy. Like SoCal slowly, well, slowly, quickly becoming on par with some of the other larger events, which is which is awesome uh, to see more events like that. And hopefully next year I'll be able to go. I I slept. I uh, delayed on my tickets. And then by the time I, I like looked at it, it, were ba- it was basically already sold out. But it was a pretty good spread in the top eight. Tau, we had a, a mixed Space Marine Force, a Imperial Soup, Raven Guard, a mixed Space Marine Force, Tau, Orcs. So, like, 
And that Space Imperial Marines Soup, I think, was not, uh, Garden Knights. I think it was, yeah. Because that was I the final was, table. The, was Yeah, because I can't see the uh, lists anymore because I don't I don't pay for them to I don't pay to be able to see the list. But yeah, I believe that was I believe that was Guard and Knights. So Space Marines are good like we like we expected, but other armies can still compete with them. And, and yeah, it's it's good to see. And, and again, we'll talk to that when we get to our main topic about like it's good to see Space Marines doing well, but having the rest of the pack be kind of diverse, too, which is nice. Yeah. And also, it looked like it wasn't just one chapter of Marines, because it looked like there was, like, Raven Guard, White Scars, Iron Hands, just a good yeah. mix of stuff. There were, yeah, there was a good mix. Uh, Centurions, Assault Centurions, and uh, Scouts were popular. Yes. Um, so, like, I, that was kind of the one common thread, is there was a lot of, like, Raven Guard, Assault Centurion squads. Because I believe in the two mixed Space Marine ones, it was something else like ultramarines or iron hands and a unit of raven guard with uh assault centurions and like a commander and a jump pack and the other one was like blood angels and raven guard assault Mar assault centurions at the so it was it were similar ish builds but uh that's kind of to be expected you kind of expect some of those combinations to be to stick out as pretty good but nothing that seemed nothing that seems super broken yeah and and that's that that's where the balance should be. So, hey, you know, maybe we're starting, you know, they're starting to dial things in a bit. I hope so. Well, I think that pretty much does it for news. So let's go ahead and move over to listener mail. As always, these letters are written by you, the listeners. And if you want to have your letter read on the air, we'll tell you how at the end of the segment. Uh, so first up, we've got a letter from Charlie Baxter and Charlie writes. Hello, I was listening with interest to the question on making Imperial Knights fun to play with and against and thought I'd chime in with my own thoughts. I am the proud owner of a Warden, a Paladin, a Valiant, a Castellan, a Crusader, and two Armagers. I'm also currently working on a pair of Helverins and have an unassembled double Gatling Chaos Knight still in the box in a cupboard. Uh, we all have our problems. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> so it is safe to say I'm a bit of a knight fanboy and have loved playing them in 8th edition. There's something refreshingly convenient about making a quick army list and grabbing a handful of models for a game after work rather than spending hours adding up the cost of various war gear combinations than packing up 90 plus infantry models in foam cases. Whilst I admit they can steamroll some armies without breaking a sweat in terms of sheer firepower and resilience, I have found that a solution to this is to play different missions where objectives and placement are of more importance than simply wiping out your opponent. Chapter Approved 2018 features some great balanced missions to try with and against knights. Just by using the acceptable casualties rule where tabling does not guarantee a win, the knight player needs to put more effort into countering objectives and prioritizing movement over offensive actions. It is very hard to hold all the objectives when you only have three to five units. I've also found that this makes me take su supposed suboptimal choices, such as the relic banner that gives a model objective secured, which can prove very useful against troop heavy armies, and certainly seems less cheesy f for your opponent than always defaulting to endless fury every game. This narrow the search mission is especially challenging for a pure knight list, where you need to secure an objective in the center of the board that removes invulnerable saves. This makes taking down a knight very doable, even for small arms fire from most armies. Just a few ideas to try out. Love the podcast. Keep up the good, keep up the great work. Charlie Baxter, Cheltenham, UK. Well, thank you. Charlie. So I know it's, I know it's a, uh, it's an audio medium, so you couldn't hear this, but I was shaking my head. Yes. The entire way time you were reading that. So <laughs> yeah. I 
I think two good points of the, on this is something that we've said numerous times is mission determines how mm-hmm. the game is played. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that the, some of the newer missions get enough credit and I don't see them really played as much as I think they probably deserve to be. Oh, absolutely. Well, and, and I, I want to, you know, he called out the, the chapter approved 2018 missions. Yes. There is a very specific reason we use those in our friendly event at Midwest conquest. They're great missions. They're balanced missions. They're fun to play. Like I, I know that ITC missions is a very specific way to play and that's fine. But I like the missions that GW is putting out. The chapter approved missions were good. I think you can kind of mix and match with some of the some of the ideas between those and the book missions to like come up with unique missions. Like I, I think that's really good. And I, I where I dislike some of the ITC missions is I do feel like a large number of them can be accomplished with just brute force and firepower okay, we're just going to kill your army and we'll win. And I like that those missions are a little more subtle than that. And it's like, no, you have to, you have to play to the objective. You have to play to the mission. You have to kill certain things or take certain areas. Cause it's not always, it's not always show up and shoot everybody off the table. Yeah. And, and like the, the acceptable casualties uh, rule is it, it in itself is a game changer on how game plays. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the fact that, yeah, you can't just brute force the mission out and go for an early win. If your opponent manages to outscore you by the time you table them, congratulations, you just lost yourself the game. Yeah. And this goes back, like we have, as you mentioned, Dennis, we've talked about this a lot in that, um, like Renegade, like back in the day when, uh, Renegade had, had their own mission style, you ended up building very different armies than you would for mm-hmm. ITC, than you would for Maelstrom play, than you would for, you know, whatever. It would completely change up how you build. And ITC, the missions actually warp the field because the armies that tend to do better are often armies that can build around the ITC secondaries so that you can deny your opponent's points during the list building process, which yep. is weird. And it's not... That's not to say that those missions are bad. No, I like the new I, play. I like yeah. the current it's ITC a, missions. It's just a different way to play. And I, I think that's the big point here is the variety, like variety of missions, variety of play styles. Um, yeah. And that's what I think. That's what I think is great about it. Yeah. And as as we have seen, like in multiple, like, again, Maelstrom missions, he doesn't mention them in here, but Maelstrom missions are also fantastic for making an army or making a game play very differently where often you will have to make suboptimal decisions, you know, to, yeah. or think, you know, decisions that not just in list building, but also like in gameplay, it's like, do I push forward and try to um like table my, like kill these units or do I kind of, do I retreat and hold these objectives because I don't have, it's like I have knights, they can move fast enough to get to the objective, but if I do, I'm pulling, like maybe I have to run to get there. I'm pulling, you know, having to pull away out of uh, out of assault range or something like that. It's like, I needed to charge, but now that's a bad choice because I want I want to get points, and right now killing this unit won't give me a point, but going for this objective marker will. Yeah. No, and, and I like that. I like games that, you know, that make you make you have to make those tactical decisions. That's why I like playing war games. Mm-hmm. You know, like you might want to, and granted, I also play corn berserkers. So like, <laughs> maybe I'm not good at this, but like, no, I want to charge ahead and kill this unit. But 
the better choice is to hang back and secure this objective. Like that's that's that tension that that all good games have. Absolutely. And so yeah, we I think yeah, I think we're all in agreement with Charlie that yeah, mission change can like running different missions will completely change the way you look at the game, the way the game plays and hopefully allow armies that in a straight up competitive environment might be suboptimal, help them actually thrive. Yeah. All right. Next up is from Daniel Schumacher. Daniel writes, hi, all got a follow up if possible for you. I tested out pure Raven guard to get a feel for them a few times and got roundly stomped by gray knights. Uh, that happens wow. when the dice gods hate you and you fail eight successive eight inch charges, leaving everyone flopping in the wind to die a horrible death. Okay. Oof. I feel for you there. <laughs> yeah. We've all been there. <laughs> Anywho, a slight disagreement arose centered around the new Shrike model. Out of the package, he is modeled on top of a wall that raises him up significantly and potentially into sniper view. No other Space Marine headquarters, no other Space Marine HQs are purposely made taller by a three inch aesthetic feature. The new Iron Father is tall, but it is his functional servo harness that gives him the altitude. My argument was that he can be modeled on the 40 mil base and doesn't need the cool wall. His point was that since the modeling instructions do not state it is optional, he must be displayed on the wall to be shot at like a man. (laughs) What are your thoughts on models that include hero bases, such as Shrike or Bobby G, that raise the model higher than the base? As TOs, how would you handle the supposed modeling for advantage? Thanks again for the awesome podcast. It really does make the day go by faster. Home Starmie, here, care... Thank you, Home Starmie, in blisteringly hot SoCal. And right now, SoCal's awesome right now. Um, <laughs> oh, man. So I, so I will say this, uh, and, and this is kind of my joke answer before we actually get into the real discussion. So preface this by saying this is the joke answer. The chapter tactic benefit of Raven Guard, Shadow Masters. Your unit gets the benefit of cover for being more than 12 inches away. Uh, if it's not a vehicle and happens to be entirely on or within a terrain feature, not just receiving cover, enemies must subtract one to their hit rolls. So I would argue that if Shrike has to be mounted on the base, he's permanently in a terrain feature and he's minus one to hit. He's carrying so, so his like wall he carries with him. Box around with him. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, oh man, snake! That's snake! obviously not how it's supposed to be. I mean, I, I, I like that as a humorous answer, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. No one uh, will, is that ruling though. Oh. Yeah, nobody will go for that. Like that's that's absolutely a joke. Don't not do not try it as a to. Do not try to state that because you will lose the argument and then you will lose all other arguments. Um, <laughs> Man. But uh, I see both sides of this. Um, it's a purely decorative base. Like it yes. is purely a decorative thing. So I don't I don't see it modeling for advantage if you don't include it. But at the same time, it also is a significant piece of terrain. Like, I, I don't know. Um, hmm. I, my argument, if somebody came to me, and the, the, the absolute answer is if you were bringing this to a tournament, the correct answer is talk to the TO beforehand and get it approved. I mean, that is all, that should always be answer number one. But as a TO, if somebody came to me and said, Hey, I did Shrike, but I didn't put him on the big wall. I put him on, on foot. Um, hmm. I, I, it'd be one thing if he mounted him crouching. Um, I would, mm-hmm. I would argue that as long as he's no shorter 
than a standard Primaris Marine and possibly a bit taller. I don't mm. think I'd have a problem with it if it did not include the decorative base because the base, the basing, I don't really consider part of the model. Right. If, if that makes sense. Although, like, this is a uh, not quite a completely analogous situation because two different games that uh, don't have the same line of sight rules necessarily. But like in a Age of Sigmar, uh, Daughters of Cain, Witch Elves are all all every single model is like leaping off a piece of train. A lot of the Harlequins models mm-hmm. are kind of that same way. Not yeah, quite to not the, the chains are not three inches. <laughs> yeah, I I. So personally like, wouldn't have a problem with it but because it is a piece of terrain but i can definitely see the argument the other way here's here's where i think i would come down on it and and this is trying to use other examples so like trying to explain the logic of why i would i would be okay with this there are in the you know in the way that like gw has photographed the models uh riptides can be kneeling um you know they've They've posed it that way. Uh, Wraith Knights can be crouching down or something like that. So they can be made significantly taller in like the official photos. So I, I don't know that I would have a problem with, like you said, as long as he is at least the height of a Primaris, of another Primaris Marine. If he's any shorter than that and you were like crouching him down, then I would have a problem with it. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't think I would have a problem with it. Um, and it's mitigated a little, little bit by the fact that he's character and he gets extra cover being a little further away. So like if he's a little and I bet that's probably why they decided to put him on there as well. It's like, hey, we have this cool concept for building it, you know, for uh, a base feature. Let's put it on the one that like gets the most cover options and extra benefit from potentially being a little bit taller. But I I don't think I would make people put on there. I, I think I would wouldn't say it was modeling for advantage if you didn't put it on the base. When you've got a base that is that decorative, you know, it's like the aesthetic of the model is improved, you know, again, argumentatively, uh, but like is meant to be improved by having this decorative base. I, I I don't know if, if as, if I was doing design, I wouldn't necessarily placed him that way. I much prefer the way that, and granted, these are, this would be closer to the Bobby G answer than necessarily for Shrike. But I prefer the uh, Forge World means of doing, uh, like the way they do the Primarchs, where there's mm-hmm. the model that, like, just the Primarch model on a base. And, like, he'll have a little, like, they'll have a little bit of, of build up there, but not enough to significantly increase their height in most cases. And then mm-hmm. it comes with a larger display base that is built up that that model, that model on base drops into as a display piece. Yeah. And I prefer that method of doing it because that clearly separates the gameplay usage from the display usage. And I get that GW wants to do these neat, um, uh, they want the rule of cool. They want, yeah, they want these neat decorative dynamic models. The other, now the other argument I could, I could see made because Shrike is a jump model. It'd be interesting to compare his height to uh, an Inceptor, you know, somebody good, yeah, or an Eliminator, call. you know, somebody or not the Eliminator, Suppressor or no, it's the Eliminators have the Suppressors. Right. Yeah. Um, or, or maybe, or am I thinking of the right, 
the right units. No, I think you're, it's the eliminators. Uh, actually, suppressors, I think, are the them with the other gun. I think it's the same unit, but with the other gun. Uh, uh, so well, there's well, there's there's the the ones that are. I'm gonna feel really stupid. Okay, suppressors are let the ones me, I'm thinking of. Yeah, let me step away for a minute, and I will give you an answer. No, I've got the book open right here. It's the suppressors. I think he's going for the height for the model. Okay, yeah, because that piece of wall he is on is is nearly as tall as he it like it would come to his chest if he was standing behind it. So plus one cover for carrying your own train, right? Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Almost a joke answer, but not not a joke. Honestly, yeah, some of the suppressors okay. are all, like looking at it. The suppressors are almost as tall on their flight bases. Same with the inceptors. Yeah. That's what I was going to say because I have an inceptor here. I have a uh, Shrike, and I have a Harkin World Claimer just to for a comparison for a non stupid jump. God, I hate these new flight bases. Um. Because they 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 keep falling over, right? Like they basically have to be glued in, and I'm not ready to glue them yet because I'm not done painting. Um, he's actually shorter than other jumps, like than the other than like the uh, inceptors really? when they're on their flight base. He's actually shorter. Uh, if I can get him to stay on here, I was going to send you guys a photo. <laughs> no, I believe because those guys are actually the primary flight- jump guys are pretty hot. Those flight bases are huge. Yeah, because um, that because what what the decorative bases made me think of at this point was like thinking about Celestine and how Celestine is like flying and she's held up by like scraps of fabric, like scraps of parchment, and yeah. that made me think of well, like you could, what if somebody like the original Celestine model was like she's standing, and it's like what if. Um, or like she's standing like on her tiptoes, so, like she's just starting to levitate. Um, because it was a metal model and it would be very <laughs> yeah. hard to have flying. And it made me think, well, what about like what if somebody modeled Celestine on her feet? Would that be modeling for an advantage? And so it's like, well, what you know, as long as it's like consistently a similar height. So I would say that if you wanted to mount Shrike on an Inceptor or Suppressor style flying base, where even if you'd be a little bit shorter, that wouldn't necessarily be a big deal. Putting him yeah. just on on the base, I think the argument could be made that, that that is kind of modeling for advantage. And being a jump model, he should at least be around a jump model's height. Yeah. No, I... I actually agree with you. Like now that I'm thinking at now that I'm kind of thinking of it that way is here. Let me, God, I really hate these new flight bases. <laughs> so here, let me send you, and I know this is going to make great audio for, for the people listening, but let me send you those photos that I just took through Facebook. Maybe we'll post them in the footnotes of the episode or something. Footnotes. <laughs> footnotes. Ah, uh, I see. You also uh, listen to aping, daily Zeitgeist. Yeah, you are a man aping, of culture. Aping better podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, here you go. I just sent those two, and I just had to hold one and hold one in place. But he's oh, actually wow. he's actually quite a bit shorter than the Inceptor, and only slightly taller than Harkin World Claimer. And if you try to mount Harkin differently, I, I think you'd get an argument that no, you you have to model him like because. So I, I don't. I I, I think I I think I've switched on this in the course of this conversation. I think you'd have to. I think you need to, need to put him at least on a flight base. Or on the terrain piece, and the flight base would make him taller. Uh, depending on where you taller. mounted it, because some of the inceptors are not mounted as tall as the one you. Oh, it's that one. Okay. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, 
if you've got one of the smaller ones, Madam him he'd still be about the same. I don't think you could make him shorter by putting him on a flight base. No, so, no, I don't think you could, but. And honestly, if stuff like this means that we don't have to use the flight bases anymore, mount all of them <laughs> on terrain because those flight bases suck. Uh, also, uh, as you see in the picture that I sent you that we'll post up on the notes, uh, the answer to this question also resides in whether you did the simple head swap or you left the emo swoop on. Because if you left the emo swoop on, I'm going to vote against you every time. <laughs> <laughs> so so there you go, uh, Daniel. Uh, we would probably insist that uh, he be mounted on something of comparable height because actually as a jump model, it would make him consistent with other jump models. Yep. But that was a really good question that made no. us think a lot. No, yeah. that is. That is good. Made and us reverse course multiple times in the in the spawn of answering it. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next one, uh, a Twitter question from Jersey General. Uh, he writes, uh, as Primaris Marines just seem to get better, do the original Marines have a place anymore or are they on their way to be phased out? Um, we'll probably get into that more in the main topic, <laughs> but yes. uh, on the tabletop, I most yes. likely, yeah. In all honesty, yeah. I mean, which the one is thing why. That, Go ahead, Kevin. Oh, so, so the one thing that surprised me, and granted, one event, so you know, but of looking at the the top list at SoCal, um, almost all of them had scouts instead of uh, instead of uh, infiltrators, which I thought was a little weird. I don't know if that's because the infiltrator kit just came out and they couldn't get the models, or if scouts are actually that much better. But like. I think certain prim- certain non-primaris units will still have a use. Um, until there are dedicated Space Marine Assault units for primaris, Assault Marines, Assault Centurions um, are going to have a place. And I think the Centurions, and we'll get into this when we talk about the book, I think the Centurions are kind of an example of how they could make old Marines still work with primaris. Um, you just have to give them rules that that make them function and do different things but yeah i, I kind of get the feeling that with the now four different primaris troop choices that they have like i kind of think old marines are on their way out yeah, and i will agree i think they're on their way out but this is why i'm still hoping to see a little schism between the space marines so you can actually have primaris versus old marines i mean mm-hmm. the old marines will probably lose so they'll probably have to look for allies in the fluff but I Chaos. think that would be an interesting concept. Yeah, I think it would be very cool. Yeah, I I'm not hopeful for for the long life of non Primaris Marines. Even in a uh, civil war situation, I think they're just going they're going to be out toughed and outgunned. Yeah, but well, uh, unless they they join up with all the other people who are out toughed and outgunned, I mean, like the Inquisition and Astro Militarum, who all worship the Emperor and the Space Marines say the Emperor's not a god. Stop saying he's a god. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and hey, you know, if this is the end for them, which, again, I don't know that necessarily is, they had a good 30, yeah, 30 some year run, like 32 year run. So, eh, eh, I don't, I don't weep too much for Space Marines. They're well, still and a good, and a good, like, fluff wise, you know, a good 10,000 plus year run. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, and then uh, finally, a uh, we actually have a list review on this one because it it came in uh, shortly before we were going to be recording this this weekend, and it seemed apropos given the topic. Mm-hmm. And it's from Dave from England, and Dave writes, "Good day to you, preferred enemies types." 
I will soon be submitting a 2,000-point list to a league tournament I'll be playing in for the next few months. For context, each player plays each other player once. We randomly generate a Maelstrom mission from one of the main rulebook or in chapter approved, and the VPs scored are cumulative. I've put together a marine list which I hope will be able to cope with my opponents and score reasonably well and consistently. I've gone Iron Hands for the durability, and because their chapter benefits will finally allow me to use both my flyers effectively. It's one list for every game. The games are open play, so no points for summoning and stratagems are not limited to one per phase. The games are competitive by nature, but in a friendly, casual environment. We're all friends, just don't like losing to one another. I will likely be facing a mixed Eldar Forest, Thousand Suns, no Magnus, a Guard with Tanks and Artillery, Nurgle Chaos Marines, and Shooty Mars Admech. I expect to have to take down lots of chaff models, pop the occasional big nasty, and have the uh, durability to hold the board and score maelstrom objectives whilst denying deep strike shenanigans. My army isn't huge, so I'll need to consider my tactics game by game. Any critique or criticism for the list would be very welcome. Do you think it's balanced enough for a take-all-comer style? Is it too small to effectively grab objectives and score? Hope the message and attached list finds you all well and look forward to hearing your thoughts. Dave from England. Uh, so his list, uh, he's running it as the Iron Skulls, which is a uh, Iron Hand successor chapter. He is using the Iron Hands chapter trait, which, uh, again, if you're not familiar, it's you overwatch on fives, you have a six up feel no pain, and your vehicles uh, don't move down on the, like, they don't move down to a lower uh, wound band until they've, or basically they count as having double wounds remaining before they uh, degrade. Uh, so he's got a battalion detachment. Uh, with, uh, 1,000, it's just one point shy of 2,000. Uh, for his HQs, he's got Iron Father Pharos and a Primaris Lieutenant with a Mastercrafted Stalker Bolt Rifle, uh, and the Tempered Helm, and the Lieutenant's actually serving as his Warlord. He has a five-man Infiltrator Squad, uh, a five, uh, two five-man Intercessor Squads with Stalker Bolt Rifles, a, uh, squad of five, uh, Scouts with Camo Cloaks and Sniper Rifles, and a tactical squad with uh, it's 10 Marines, including a Chainsword Stormbolter Sergeant, a Laz Cannon Marine, and a Plasma Gun Marine. For Elites, he's got an Invictor Warsuit with the uh, Incendium Cannon. He has a Relic Karn Venator Tank Destroyer uh, with a Heavy Bolter and two uh, Laz Cannon Sponsons. He has a Devastator Squad with uh, a Sergeant with a Power Fist and then four Missile Launchers. He has an Eliminator Squad, which is the uh, with the Bolt Sniper Rifles. He doesn't have the last fusils. A Land Raider Crusader with uh, Hurricane Bolters and Multimelta. And then a Stormhawk Interceptor and uh, a Xiphon Interceptor. So running a little, bit of, a little bit of Forge World in there. And so the questions are, like, can he deal things like Mixed Eldar, Thousand Suns, uh, Guard with... Tanks and artillery, Nurgle chaos, and uh, shooty admech. So there's definitely a lot of uh, a lot of troops. So like one of the questions was, would you know, would I have enough troops to hold objectives? And I think with five different units, yes. I if you're concerned about deep strike, I would maybe consider dropping the scout squad and adding in a. Uh, well, you'd have to maybe tweak some other things, um, like maybe the scout squad and one or two of the tactical marines so they can get another infiltrator squad so you'd have two things and the invictor war suit that can basically uh that can basically uh deep strike you know and, and deploy like on the table outflank things like that to kind of uh 
deny area control and, and deep sh- and opponents deep strike. I don't know about the stalker bolt rifles on the intercessor squads. I don't know that they're a bad choice. I just uh, because the basically the stalker bolt gun gives you it's heavy thirty six inch range, heavy one, strength four, AP two, two damage, which is really nice against medium or heavy infantry. But you also have a list that has uh, Laz Cannon and a Victor War suit with a uh, heavy bolter. You've got twin Laz Cannons on the Sakaran. You've got four missile launchers. Uh, you've got a multi-melta. You've got Laz Talons on the Stormhawk. You've got Laz Cannons on the Xiphon. I almost wonder if you're worried about like small troops and chaff, if maybe taking like uh, the Assault Bolter instead on like at least maybe one unit. So that you have one unit that can just lay out a bunch of DACA and take out small infantry units. Yeah, fair. Uh, now, do keep in mind that being Iron Hands and with the with the way they kick into doctrines, uh, true. No penalty That's for true. moving yeah. in, no penalty for moving and shooting heavy weapons during Devastator Doctrine, which he has from turn one. True, uh, true, true, true. Uh, as long as it's active, he's re-rolling hit rolls of one, and being Devastator Doctrine, all those Stalker Bolt rifles are AP minus three. Okay, fair enough. I forgot about that. You're right. <laughs> I forgot about all the ridiculousness that they can stack on their shooting. Yeah. Um, okay, so that that is withdrawn. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would maybe think about adding another infiltrator unit if possible, like maybe dropping the sniper scouts. Although I get why the sniper scouts are there because sniper rifles are good. Well, sniper um, rifles and also, as you said, trying to avoid uh, deep strike shenanigans. True. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because I guess you'd have especially since you have like the uh you since it's open play you have the uh you can basically continue to use the uh the interceptor stratagem whatever that is where basically you can do the uh shoot as things drop in yeah so like you've got you could use that multiple times so that's that's a really good unit to have for that so yeah honestly the the odd one out is kind of the tactical squad yeah i don't yeah, that's kind of yeah, because that's the one that kind of doesn't fit. Um, and I we just had this conversation about what's making tactical marines like and old marines kind of valid, but for this, I would almost say like another infiltrator squad to be able to nick objectives would be would be better. Although, let's see here, what <sighs> the only thing is, if you don't have them, then there's really no point of having the land raider. True. Which, I mean, that's also a valid option to, yeah, because that frees up a bunch of points too. I mean, that's true. Yeah. You drop that, that's 280, 300, 450 points, basically, or 440 points, basically, that you just freed up if you did that, which could allow you to add in multi, you know, max out your troops, get up to six troops. So you have another couple options there. You could add things if you have them like assault centurions. Or, uh, or even the, the, the other ones, the other, the shooty centurions, uh, whatever they're called. I'm blanking on it right now. Devastator centurions. Right. Um, I'd, I'd get there eventually. I knew I'd get there eventually. I mean, heck, if you, and granted, I don't know that he has the model. <laughs> oh, yeah, looking at this right now. Drop the tactical squad, drop the land raider, add another infiltrator squad. And if you have it, add another Sakaran. And you well, basically Sakarn okay, points the, back. <laughs> he's limited on the Sakarn because it's a relic weapon, which means he can ah. only take one for every non-relic choice he has in that slot. So, ah, boo. Although I was looking at the uh, the rules for the Venator because um, it's actually one I hadn't seen before. 
Uh, mm-hmm. has a neutron pulse cannon, which is strength, uh, let's see, a 48 inch, 48 inch range, heavy three, strength 12, AP minus four, so AP minus five during Devastator Doctrine. Uh, D6 damage, any vehicle which suffers wounds from this weapon but is not slain must subtract one from its hit rolls in the shooting phase until the end of its controlling player's next turn. Well, that'll get her done. Yep. <laughs> Now, it already doesn't have the penalty. The vehicle itself does not have the penalty for uh, moving and firing heavy weapons. But still, the re-rolling of ones to hit. Uh, and it's ballistic skill three, so it's not going to... With 14 wounds, so it's not going to degrade until it is at two wounds remaining. So, okay. So the other option, because that thing is awesome and it sucks you can't take another one. Uh, the other option would potentially be to take a uh, repulsor instead of the land raider, and I'm delaying as I pull up battle scribe so I can look and see what the point cost on that would be, um, because potentially you could take a uh, the repulsor or the repulsor executioner in place of the land raider crusader, because I guarantee no matter how you load it out, it's probably less than 288 points. Eh, well, maybe the base cost of a repulsor before guns is 215. Okay, fair enough. Maybe not. Yeah, repulsors and land raiders are really close to each other on points. But yeah, like potentially. So if you were to drop the tactical squad for another, if you dropped it for another infiltrator squad, that saves you that saves you 48 points. If you drop it for an intercessor squad, it saves you almost 70 points, um, which should be enough to get one of those, one of the repulsors. So the executioner's 315. And let's see here. What's the other one? The repulsor is the other is the repulsor uh, elite. And it's a dedicated transport. It's dedicated transport. Oh, wow. yeah. OK. So without like just stock, without adding anything to it, the base repulsor is 256. The repulsor executioner base is 315. So you could, assuming you have the models and want to do this, you could drop the tax squad, throw in an, uh, another unit of primaris. Intercessors, uh, uh, sorry, intercessors, uh, intercessors. It's too many units that are similar named, and then add in a repulsor executioner and give it basically arm it out to taste, and you're going to have a lot more firepower than you would with uh, just the 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 tax squad and the land raider. Yeah, and to uh, and just in case you don't know, a stock repulsor has. Uh, a heavy onslaught Gatling cannon, a iron hail heavy st- or Icarus iron hail heavy stubber, a regular iron he- iron hail heavy stubber, uh, two crack storm grenade launchers, two storm bolters, a twin heavy bolter, and it comes with auto launchers. Yeah. And the uh, if you take the executioner, you basically get all that same stuff: the grenade launchers, uh, the onslaught Gatling cannon. You also get the macro plasma incinerator, which is. Uh, 36 inch range, uh, heavy D6, strength 8, AP minus 4, 1 damage, which also, since it's plasma, you can overcharge it to get it up to uh, strength 9, 2 damage. Uh, Storm Bolter, heavy bolter, twin Icarus, uh, iron, iron rail, or iron hail, heavy stubber. I think if you wanted to go that route, if you wanted to drop the tax squad and basically make this more of a Primaris uh, list. I would probably do that. I'd probably drop the tax squad and the land raider and then add in either a repulsor or a repulsor executioner and 
and another Primaris squad to be able to because the Primaris squads are also going to be more resilient to hold objectives because for a five man uh in you know intercessor squad you're getting 10 wounds plus the feel no pain and all the other things that make iron hands uh durable whereas if you have just the uh the tax squad it's only seven wounds so you're you're going to be a little more you're going to be have a little more ability to stick with uh stick on an objective i think with that five man squad if you don't mind paying 10 more points that you can switch up to the heavy laser destroyer also yeah. on the executioner. Yeah. Oh, I would say, yeah, you could basically at that point just kind of flavor the weapons to taste because there's just way too many options on those repulsors. Right. And <laughs> I mean, the Land Raider Crusader you're giving up is 288. So and you said the repulsor executioner is 315? 315 stock. 315 so, so 325. Yeah. And it's and got a transport point- capacity of six. So if you mm-hmm. uh, traded out the tactical squad for eighty five for an eighty five point uh, intercessor squad with, and maybe that's the one you put the auto bolt rifles on, or just like sure. to put down more shots, you could put a squad of five and the lieutenant in there because the lieutenant mm-hmm. doesn't really have a clear place to go. The other option would be to put the uh, you could put just a regular repulsor there, put the two intercessor squads inside. And then they can get out because it's got a ca- transport capacity of 10 for Primaris. Yeah. So you could deliver them wherever you needed them and then still drop the tactical tactical squad for like another infiltrator squad, like you said. Yeah. So, I mean, you've got some flexibility there. This build isn't bad, but there's definitely places where you could mix it up a bit and still kind of get the same thing. But maybe like mm-hmm. trade out your firepower on the tax squad for fire, more firepower on the tank. Yeah. Well, the one thing I'll say playing against the I'm looking at playing against is um, repulsors are fire magnets. They are. Yes. If I see one on the table, that's going to be one of the things I try and take out first. And if I'm taking out that, I am not dealing with your rest of your troops and heavies that are going and getting objectives or getting table quarters or or that's a the, Karen that's just doing work. <laughs> well, that's the thing is right now if I look at the list as is Karen is what I'd be kind of scared of. Mm-hmm. You put the repulsor and the Sakaran together, put them on opposite sides. I have two things I have to deal with that are going to hurt me. Yes. Yeah. And you've and got it. Whichever one I go against, the other one's going to hurt me. So either way, I lose. Oh. <laughs> and you've got a, a, that Invictor suit. Let's not forget that, which can drop in near you and flame you. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. I- I kind of like swapping out that tax that tax squad for like another scout squad or a scout squad infiltrator squad, and then the land raider for a, a repulsor, and you know, and and kind of tweak how you want to kit those out to make the points work. But that gives you a little more flexibility to drop things in, and it gives you a little more mobility to move units around the table to get to objectives. Um, and it's going to give you, as Dennis said, it's going to give you another fire magnet that's. Uh, opponents will have to will have to pay attention to we mentioned the faq earlier so the big up so the big updates were that the uh the 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 halo from the one of the relics i believe no it's uh, it's actually the or, halo from iron father pharos himself only okay. affects infantry his his halo only affects infantry which honestly this list is mostly infantry so that's fine and the other big impact is that you can't use the pregame stratagem to make care dreadnought characters care dreadnoughts characters 
but you only have one in here, and since you're playing open play, you well, the Invictor isn't even a dreadnought, really. So, ah, fair enough. I didn't know about the keyword or not. So, I, I don't know that the, I, as we mentioned, like before, like there's some nerfs that hit certain builds of Iron Hands, but I don't think it impacts here. I really don't. Yeah, and honestly, you could also like if you went with the Executioner, you could even put the Iron Father in with the squad too, if you didn't want to put the. Yeah. Because he's not your warlord, the the lieutenant is. So if you wanted oh, to have Jesus, him, so you just made that you just made that repulsor like unkillable then. <laughs> because he's got because he's oh man, because <laughs> he can just sit there and just repair it every turn. <laughs> yeah, because he auto repairs it for three. <laughs> uh, that's sick. <laughs> Iron hands are so good. <laughs> But yeah, like the Invictor suit does not have the Dreadnought trait, so yeah, okay. you, it wouldn't, right, wouldn't apply to this build. So yeah, I, I kind of like that, you know, just kind of going... I mean, you still have the squad of Devastators, so you're not, like, full Primaris, and yeah. again, and with... the Scouts. Well, yeah, the Scouts and the Devastators, and again, with the Devastator, like, with that uh, attack, or with Devastator Doctrine in play, those are, like, AP minus... They're, they're practically last cannons anyway. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, like, for this army, I love the missile launchers because it just gives you a ton of flexibility. Yes. You've got your, your frag missiles, your crack missiles. You've got those. Those are great. Those will do work for you. Yeah. And so, like, thinking about the things that he's playing against. Um, so, like, mixed Eldar force, you've got the tools to chew up a little bit of anything that Eldar is likely to throw at you. I mean, we haven't even talked about the two flyers, but flyers are fen- phenomenal under Iron Hands. Yeah, they're they're both great. I mean, they're la- flying last cannons are good. Yeah, <laughs> like regardless, they're good. Yeah, against Thousand Suns, you don't have any anti psychic support, but you've got everything's got six up, feel no pain, so you've got at least a little bit of something against yeah. like smites and and other like psychic attacks. And bullets are good psychic defense. Um, yeah, bullets are good. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, your stuff's not going to degrade. So even if they manage to chip away wounds on your vehicles and such with Inferno bolts, you know, you're you're going to keep going. Your infantry will have a little bit of a harder time in that particular fight, but mm-hmm. uh, you should be, you know, you, you should do okay. You'll outnumber them even. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if they're running like lots of like Zangors, you'll chew through the Zangors, no problem. Um, let's see. Guard with tanks and artillery. Uh, you've got tank killing potential. The The issue is going to be how many tanks you have to deal with. But with, um, with the, the Sakaran, the, uh, Repulsor Executioner, the Devastators, and having like AP minus three Stalker bolt rifles and, and things I think like you're that. probably good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You should be able to, to deal and two flyers with flying last cannons that are going to be like AP minus five. You should be okay. I guess AP minus. Yeah. Last cannons are always get mixed up because some last style weapons are more than others. Last cannons are AP minus three. So they did be AP minus four. They're still fine. <laughs> still fantastic. Right. You're going to be you're punching be holes in those things all day long. Um, against, uh, Nurgle Marines, you've actually got advantage with these Starker bolt rifles in that you're doing two damage each. So you've got a better chance of, you're rerolling ones to wound, which is going to be very helpful, uh, because the, the higher toughness will be harder for your infantry to chip through. But when you do, the better AP will make our armor saves less likely and the extra damage per shot 
means they're less likely to shrug off all the damage from, you know, through disgustingly resilient. So you've got mm-hmm. a lot of like multi wound stuff here. So that will help quite a bit. And then shooty, shooty Mars Admech, uh, you're basically in a straight up shooting fight. You will probably, you'll outlast. Yeah. Just by, by iron hands, your vehicles won't degrade. Theirs will. Uh, you can repair just about as well as they can. Your troops are more resilient and deadlier. I, you should have, I mean, it might be tight in a couple of spots, but you should be able to weather that storm. So, uh, and you've got the, you've got units. And that's the other nice thing is the Land Raider Crusader, while it can move like a couple of inches more, having a vehicle that can fly and that really doesn't degrade with the uh, repulsor executioner uh li- gives you a lot more ability to reposition where you need it if you need to cap it on move it on or off of an objective or you know mm-hmm. move it up move it back you don't have any penalty for uh you you're, you're going to stay in devastator doctrine all game all game long there's no reason to switch off of it so yeah you'll do fine with that and i think you'll actually be in a better position with the with the repulsor executioner than you will with the land raider crusader yeah all right and if you have a question you would like us to read on the air or a letter or a list to look at um or if you just like you have an opinion you want to respond to something uh, there's three good ways to do that first off is emailing us our email addresses are our first name at preferred enemies.com so rob at kevin at dennis at richard at preferred enemies.com Second is our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash preferred enemies. Uh, you can like us there, follow us, send us messages. Um, third is Twitter. Uh, we are, uh, at preferred enemy singular on Twitter and we collect all the uh, letters and questions and such. We get on those, throw them in the hopper and try to get to them, uh, within a reasonable amount of time, uh, per episode. We don't want to make our episodes too amazingly long, but uh, we get through uh, as many as we can in one episode. Um, we also have a Patreon if you want to help support the show, which helps fund us going to uh, various 40K events, helps keep our equipment uh, up, d- up to date and fully functional, helps pay for our, uh, our hosting for the show and everything. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash preferred enemies. Uh, it's basically an online tip jar. We don't lock any of our content behind a paywall. So uh, it's just a matter of you, if you want to support the show and you, you like what we do, uh, even if it's just a dollar a month, uh, enough people throw in a dollar, it all adds up. And uh, actually, I want to thank Charlie Baxter, who is, in fact, not just a letter writer but a new patron so welcome to the patreon family charlie uh thank you very much for your support uh we're gonna go ahead and take a quick break for sponsor identification and when we come back we'll be doing our roundtable on space marines we've already had a little bit of a preview so let's get we'll get into it after this see you in a bit miniatures we build them we paint them we love them that's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely and that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, 
X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. Their professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a GameMat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back. And that means it's time to look into our main topic, which is a roundtable discussion. Well, as round as it can be with three of us, I guess a triangular table discussion. Uh, a virtual roundtable. Virtual roundtable, yes. Uh, for the uh, the Space Marine Codex and supplements, since we have all six founding chapters that are not weirdos like Blood Angels, Dark Angels, or Space Wolves. Um all, all of those are covered. Um, now I will not say that all space marines are covered because I found it interesting that the Imperial Fists supplement does not include Black Templars. Yeah, but they're going to get an update soon with, uh, the next Psychic Awakening, hopefully. Yeah. I, I'm just hoping that they are not restricted to only the Faith and Fury book, because right now they're in a weird spot where they are not in the codex other than a warlord trait and a chapter tactic. But they're also like, but none of their units are in here. Their own units only exist in a PDF right now. I mean, what more do you need? <laughs> Actual print book would be nice. Not that I play Templars anymore. Uh, that army went to Drew Davenport <laughs> this year. Uh, but, True. uh, uh, but yes, yeah, so we have all of these and we also have the benefit of a month or so of actual like tournament results with, uh, multiple chapters. Although I think it's still a little bit soon to see a lot of salamanders and imperial fists. I think we're just now starting to get to events that will, would allow those armies in. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we're not going to try to retread too much although i granted a lot of the content from the cursed episode was lost but uh we're going to but i've already talked about it once so i don't want to talk about it again (laughs) (laughs) i don't really play space marines so kevin can talk about it for me there you go uh (laughs) but but uh i did want to kind of talk about like structurally how how this book has changed you know how how it differs from pat from other codexes and also kind of what has what has uh changed with the space marines to make them suddenly going from like mid-tier at very best to major contending armies 
you know, to, to the point where they are an army where, like, if you see space marines on the table, it's actually something to be concerned about. Mm-hmm. Uh, both, you know, and I would say even, uh, even in casual play, they're no longer kind. I don't want to say they were really a joke army, but, you know, they were, they were definitely victims of early edition design. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. I think they definitely got a massive boost across the board because there's, other than like maybe tactical Marines, I don't know that there's any unit that didn't get better in this new edition, in this new book. Yeah. And even tactical Marines get the benefit of what's changed for the army overall. So mm-hmm. even in that respect, uh, they got bumped up. So the, the main things like army wide that really changed, uh, for space Marines was we already had bolter drill and this just made it an official part of how the army plays. Um, and actually it was interesting that rather than have like all these little sub rules, they just rolled them into one rule called angels of death. Yes. So angels of death. Inc- so they, they still have, and they shall know no fear. So they reroll failed morale checks. They have bolter discipline, which is the, your bolter weapons fire at basically get the rapid fire benefit if you're either within half range or it's infantry and you stood still or it's a Terminator, Biker, Centurion, or Dreadnought. They have Shock Assault, which gives them one extra attack when they either they charge, were charged, or heroically intervene. And uh, those were also given to uh, – that was also given to Chaos Space Marines, fortunately. And I think mm-hmm. all the other all the other flavors of Marine got this, including I think Grey Knights even got that. Yeah, which well. makes sense. Yeah. Space Marines should, should have that. Yes. And then the last part, which is unique to the, uh, the, uh, space marine, like chapter, like these, the, these chapter, like codex compliant chapters is the combat doctrines rule. Uh, which first of all, I like how they addressed the soup issue with yes. this. Uh, cause basically you don't get combat doctrines unless Every arm, every unit in your army, uh, not counting servitors and unaligned units, so fortifications don't count against it, um, have to have the combat doctrines ability, which basically limits it to this codex and the related supplements. Uh, if the minute you mix in guard or knight or anything else, ability goes away. And it is so key to how this army plays and how the supplements work with it that it pretty much guarantees you are either playing mono faction or at best you're playing mixed marine armies Mm -hmm. and i think that's kind of the secret sauce like um in the past with the i think it was the sixth edition codex the seventh edition codex where they kind of introduced the different chapter tactics the first time or reintroduced them it kind of required you to play your space marine army fluffy you know so like the good way to play ultramarines was to build an ultramarines army and I think this kind of takes it back to that, where it's like, no, if you're going to build a good Iron Hands army that takes, you know, the most out of it, you know, that gets all of the good benefits, you're you're gonna build it with just Iron Hands. And I think that's, I think that's the way it should be. And I, I like that. I like that they're they're making it better, making it better to build a cohesive army than it is to take soup. Uh, agreed and it'd be interesting to see how something like this would could be done for other armies although at this point it would be a lot of factions to redo Mm -hmm. and this is not a small change because while 
it feels like it's a relatively minor change, but in practice, especially when you're working with the supplements, it is actually quite substantial. And it's basically you start off, and this kind of goes back to like the 6th and 7th edition Marine Codexes, which first introduced the idea of combat doctrines, like tactical doctrines. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there it was just like an ability you would call on, like you had a pool of three abilities that you could call on like each once per game. Uh, this one is very different that you basically start in, you, you start in Devastator Doctrine. And then while you're in Devastator Doctrine, all your heavy and grenade weapons are AP minus one. They're one AP better. And then at some point you can, at like the beginning of a future turn, if you're in Devastator, you can switch to tactical, which now makes your tactical and assault weapons one better AP. And then once you're in assault doctrine, or once you're in tactical doctrine, you can later switch to assault doctrine, which makes your melee and pistol weapons better. And so you have this ability to like kind of tailor how your army is fighting based on like what stage of the game are you on? At least in theory, on paper, that's how it would work. Sure. Um, very few armies are ever going to work through all three of those. I think the only one I can think of would B white scars is the only one that's going to try to work through all three of those. Mm -hmm. Um, Most armies are going to stop. They're either going to stay in devastator or they're going to switch up to tactical. Uh, Just especially because Marines are still an army that again, barring white scars don't have great assault options for the most part. Yep. No, I, I, I agree. And I think that it's interesting because we've talked about with, um, especially like uh, Dark Eldar as kind of the the or example of, you know, an army that plays better in late game or, you know, guard where it's like, well, when they have that first turn where they're, you know, at full strength shooting everything, they have to, you know, they have to win the early game. It's interesting because it, it provides Space Marines with the flexibility of, no, we can kind of adjust to how the game's going. We can... If we need to pull out a thing and get close, we can do that. If we need to stick back and shoot better, we can do that. It, it underscores that Space Marine are a shooting army first and foremost, but it gives them that tactical flexibility that other armies just really don't have in the roles. Yeah, and uh, they even give you a way, like there's a stratagem in here called Adaptive Strategy that it, it's only one CP, and as long as you have a character model uh, for, for your chapter, you uh you can actually roll uh, roll back a step. So mm-hmm. if you wanted to, you could like, if you were in Devastator and then like, okay, I'm going to roll into Tactical because my stuff's getting closer. Oh, I've reached a point where like all my close-up troops are, are dead, but I still have my big guns left. I could actually choose to roll back to Devastator if I needed to. Uh, how often that's going to come into play, I don't know, but it's, it, it is a lot of it's good thick. flexibility to have. Mm-hmm. And and so I do think that Combat Doctrines has done a lot to make Marines killier because even just that that one point change in AP can make a big difference in, in how likely you are to make an armor save. No, absolutely. Like we were talking about when uh, reviewing the, the list, you know, in the in the earlier section, <clears throat> changing this, you know, stalker bolt rifles from AP2 to AP3 is enormous. Like, that's a huge difference in the battlefield. And and even just like, uh, you know, I look at things like aggressors are suddenly all their weapons are AP minus one. Uh, bolt rifles are now AP minus two. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, auto bolt rifles are assault three AP minus one. Like they're as good as a regular bolt rifle, actually, you know, slightly less range, but more shots and, and now just as good. Uh, or yeah. And, and you know, your only limitation is, well, they're not that way. Turn one, but turn two, they could be, uh, stalker bolt rifles. Again, starting off the game, all your, that's the thing. It's like every space Marine army starts the game. All their heavy weapons are better than printed, which is, yeah, that is huge. And then, the way that the individual chapters have keyed into that uh, is really interesting. And it is where some of the balance issues come in. Cause as, as we've talked about with iron hands, it's like your army, like as, as we just said, like all your heavy weapons are like front loaded. And then all the benefits for playing iron hands are here. Let's make your heavy weapons even better. And so, I think that's, it ends up being a little bit problematic. I think it's a little bit too much stacked together, but I wouldn't want to take away Devastator's Doctrine benefits from all the other chapters. So I'm not exactly sure if there's a good fix for that. Yeah, no, it does create some interesting balance issues. And I think that's more where like the actual uh, chapter tactics, what the, yeah, what the actual individual chapter tactics do more than the different doctrines. Because in theory, I really like the doctrines because I think it gives Space Marines a flexibility that no other army has. And if you read about them, you know, in the fluff and the way that the they're you know talked about in universe, that's their jam is flexibility. You know, that's that's what tactical Marines are all about, like the ability to go in and do whatever the situation needs. So I really like that as a cool thing for them. But it's when you start pairing it with some of the other things that you run into balance issues. Um, and I think we've talked about this before. It's like, I like having the options, but when you add in so many different options, there's so many different balance points that it becomes very easy to miss a balance point and make something that's really overpower- overpowered. Yeah. And, and you, you do have to wonder, it's like, is this something that got missed in play testing? Like, so did somebody just like not consider the, the ramifications of this, or was it something that was caught, but it was caught after it went to print and we need to figure out some way to adjust it, which again, we didn't see any changes to this. And, and I suppose we should actually get into like the individual supplements a bit, uh, to really talk about that. But before we do, I did, I want, did want to talk about a few other things from the main book. Mm-hmm. Um, who would have thought that we'd see centurions being, uh, big threats on the table again? They figured out how to make Assault Centurions good, which honestly is the biggest thing that surprised me about this edition so far. We still think they look silly, though. <laughs> oh, no, they're, they're dumb models. <laughs> but they're they're dumb good, apparently. Yeah. Um, the uh, Yeah, especially, I mean, turns out that if you drop their cost by like 40 points and give them an extra wound, suddenly they're fantastic. Well, and then you give them some of the, they stack really well with some of the chapter tactics. They stack really well with the combat doctrines. Because, you know, once once you build like a white, uh, you know, a white scars with uh, army with them, they get basically cover until they get super close. When they get close, you switch to combat doctrines, you know, your, your assault doctrine, and then they become just super good. Yeah. And like the fact that, you know, especially like with white scars, you can have them chart like advance or fall back and still charge. So like you can pull them out of combat and then go right back into combat. Um, the fact that they are like. They're a T5 unit with uh, two up armor and four wounds a model is pretty ridiculous. Good. And like 
this is one of the few cases where like in assault like i'm because i'm looking at the uh like i've got the devastator ones open right now but yeah centurion assault squad which is an elite yeah the suddenly they're like strength 10 ap minus four three damage a piece with uh yeah with like three attacks base and then yeah no that's phenomenal the the biggest problem with them is their movement of four sure but that's why you take them white scars so you can advance and still charge so you can just advance 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 and then still be able to charge as soon as you get up there yeah so again it's like it's not it's not necessarily the fact that the unit's overpowered or you know the the doctrines are overpowered it's you start hitting hitting weird combinations of chapter tactic comp, you know doctrine and this that make certain units more powerful than they appear to be or than they than they feel like they should be at times mm-hmm. like i think i when i first went over the book like when i was just kind of reading it and comparing it to the uh the previous space marine codex i think i actually overlooked the centurions because i at this point they'd been written off for a while now mm-hmm. like they stopped like they even stopped being a thing in seventh edition and that's when you could still like grab when like grav cannon uh, Devastator Centurions and like a drop pod were still a pretty decent choice, but you still didn't even see them that much anymore. And then in eighth edition, they just, they went away. Uh, well, both- like, yeah, like the assault Centurions have never been good. Like no. there's never been a point since that model's introduced that they've been a viable unit. And they're the linchpin of, of, of a competitive space Marine army right now, because again, you drop the points by 40, you allow them to assault and, you know, uh, advance and charge and give them, you know, flat four damage or whatever. Like, that's insane. Yeah. No, it's it's really, really good. Um, and uh, the Devastator ones also are just the amount of firepower they can pack. I'm like, Dennis, you've been on the receiving end of that firepower. Yeah. And it, they, they can definitely pack a punch. And, and that's where we get back to the movement is I really kind of view them – like we used to view Terminators back in like fifth ed where Terminators were the, Oh my gosh, they're hard to kill. And they've got the extra firepower with a heavy weapon. They can just drag around. That's what these guys feel like now, since you don't see Terminators on the board anymore. You, you see these guys. Yeah. Well, like the devastator version where each one is, each one basically has the firepower of three, of like, of like three individual devastators, but with far more resilience, because there it's like each of them has two las cannons and and can have a missile launcher, and the missile launcher is easily as I mean it's actually probably better because it's D three, it's an assault weapon, so it won't stat like it won't get the AP change from like in heavy mode, but the las cannons will. But then uh, let's say you switch to tactical, especially like if you're uh, ultramarines or Ultramarines, Raven Guard, uh, and uh, like Salamanders all all love being in tactical mode. Suddenly they're AP minus three, like Assault D3, Strength 8, AP minus three, D3 damage. Uh, and you're just putting out a ridiculous number of shots. And they don't suffer any penalty for moving and firing heavy weapons anyway. So you're still firing your LAS, ga- your LAS cannons as well as you were before. So I mean, there's a lot of a lot of stacking possibilities there with the the range ones, but yeah, the assault ones that's the one that like surprised me that they are now a linchpin assault, like a a, yeah. a linchpin competitive unit. 
I mean, because again, like you take that unit with the number of attacks, the amount of flat damage they can get. I mean, that'll that'll chew, one of those will chew through any unit in the game in one go. Mm-hmm. And you you have to deal with them. And so it's like a case where, OK, yeah, they move slowly, but, you know, they can advance well. And if you ignore them for other targets, it's kind of like the the list we talked about where, like, here's a Sakaran on one side and a Repulsor Executioner on the other. And it's like, pick your poison. It's going to suck either way. This is kind of that same thing. If you can put enough other threat units on the board, your opponent's going to have to choose and eventually they'll choose badly. Yeah. Um, and then something else, and we talked about something similar uh, last episode with the uh, build your own craft world was the addition of uh, the build your own chapter tactics. Traits. Which we have seen at tournaments, which I, I like. Yes. Yeah. You're actually seeing uh, armies take these and not necessarily fall back on the founding chapter traits, although they can, they're still considered successor. You can still be considered a successor chapter without having to use your parent chapter's trait, which is nice. Um, and I really do like the array of abilities they have, they have here and they manage to do it in a way that like, I, I think I've mentioned in the past that uh, like, I think it was in fourth edition the space marine codex had a build your own chapter system but it was Mm -hmm. very easy to game because you could just say oh and my penalty will be i have one less heavy support slot but i wasn't going to take any heavy support anyway or i was only going to take one unit anyway so it's not really a a downside in this case they give you the ability to pick two from this list of like 20 some traits but none of them add up to being better than necessarily than the standard chapter tactics. And none of them are like, and, and there's no drawback to it. It's like, so it never feels like you're gaming the system really. It's just more like, well, mm-hmm. how do you want to play your Marines? Yeah, no, I think they did an excellent job of balancing those, those traits because it, you're right. It, it very, in the past, it was very easy to like manipulate it, and it it felt like it could have been. That was my fear was, like we saw with like the night household chat uh, rules, that some of those were like clear winners over the others, and like you build this, and then it you know it ramps up the power on this one, and boom, it's you know it, you just you just run into the scenario where it becomes super overpowered. I think they did a really excellent job of balancing these. Where like honestly, like the most competitive ones are like the most powerful ones are the ones that they kind of built into the founding chapters. So if you want to take a successor chapter to have a little more flexibility, that's cool. But you're probably not going to get as much sheer value out of it as if you do, if you just take one of the six main chapters. Yeah. And I also do like that they made sure that uh, the six main, or I guess seven, if you include uh, Black Templars, and actually technically eight, because Crimson Fists have their own. But they made sure that those were all unique. There was no way to recreate those with these build it with this build your own system, but you could usually pick like one half of it. So you could build an army that thematically felt like, yeah, it's descended from this army, but it's more specialized this way or that way. Yeah. They did a really good job with the, with the build your own traits. I I really did like those. Yeah, no, I, I, I really do think they did a good job. And, Again, the fact that it is, you're still considered, you can still be a successor chapter. Although getting into the supplements, I also really like how they made 
successor chapters feel related, but not like a palette swap of a <laughs> of a main. So yeah, let's talk a bit about the supplements because um, most of these, I think, other than the Ultramarines one, none of these have more than a couple of units in them. I think the most after like Ultramarines has something like nine or ten data sheets because they've got a bunch of named characters and they've got a couple of specialist units that are ultramarines mm -hmm. only and then after that i think imperial fists because they have a couple of characters and they have crimson fists in there and then after that it's like one maybe two data sheets each yeah and, and primarily just characters but it's interesting how they manage to dovetail you know we talked about the doctrine system earlier and they dovetailed in uh a special like doctrine related ability with that doctrine system. So for example, I've got uh, Imperial fists cracked open here and they're like, so they have a, a rule basically says if your army is battle forged, then in addition to the attachment abilities gained from codex space Marines units in your armies with the co combat doctrines ability gain the legacy of Dorn ability. So long as the entire army is Imperial fists or every unit from your army is th from the same Imperial Fist successor chapter. So again, it's everything in your army. So even if you do mixed marine armies, you lose this ability. You'll still mm -hmm. have combat doctrines, but you will lose this special ability. So again, your your army gets more focused the less soupy it is, which I again, yes. I think that's yeah. really good design. And again, I'm not sure how you would how you would translate something like that to other armies, but I really do like how they've done it here. Um, so, like, Legacy of Dorne is, while Devastator Doctrine is active, so from the start of the game, as long as you don't shift out of it, when resolving an attack made with a heavy weapon by a model with it, with this ability, against a vehicle or building, add one to the damage characteristic of that weapon for the attack. So now you have las guns that are doing, like, D6 plus one versus vehicles. You have heavy bolters that are doing two damage against vehicles. Uh, nobody cares about buildings. Nobody ever brings buildings or attacks buildings. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do like that they made it vehicles or buildings because otherwise it would have been completely useless. Yeah. But it also like via like the buildings part makes it fluffy for Imperial Fist because they are siege Absolutely. masters. But Absolutely. having it against vehicles actually does make it useful too. Yeah. And then uh, so so like that's an example. Uh, the other ones are um, salamanders when tactical is uh is active, they add one to wound with uh, Melta or Flame Weapons, which can be very useful. Yeah. Uh, Raven Guard, also when Tactical is up, uh, they have Surgical Strikes, which uh, lets them add one to hit and wound rolls against characters. Because they, they are basic... Like, Raven Guard are the character hunters. I mean, that is absolutely like they're, like, cut off the head and, and watch the the opposing army crumble after that. How well that would actually play off in the table, t play out in the tabletop, eh, debatable, but right. But it's cool and fluffy. It's cool and fluffy. Uh, Iron Hands, I really do think. I think one of the problems with Iron Hands is they gave them too much, because they either they have both basically they give everybody power of the machine spirit, so they don't have any penalties for moving and shooting high heavy weapons, and rerolling heavy. Uh, re-rolling attacks with heavy weapons of one and all this during Devastator Doctrine. I think if they'd given them one or the other, it would have been fine. Giving them both is a bit of a problem. Yeah. And honestly, I think for them, I think giving them Power of the Machine Spirit would have 
been very f- I, I think you could get rid of the re-rolling heavy re-rolling ones and that would tone them down significantly while still doing things like allowing like their flyers would still be phenomenal and they'd still have you'd be in devastator doctrine so all your heavy weapons are still better it's just but they didn't need the extra re-roll ones to hit i think that's that's i'm not that big of a fan i think i think if you removed that iron hands would still be good but they'd be good the same way everybody else is good they'd have their own trick that would kind of change how they play yeah exactly um ultramarines uh theirs kicks in tactical which is makes perfect sense they are the the tactical army um and uh if tactical doctrine's active models of this are ability that moved in your movement phase but did not advance or fall back um count as being stationary for firing their weapons so it's it's like the reverse of the iron hands one sort of mm-hmm but I mean, you still get, you can still move and fire without penalty. But what's really cool is like you count as being it, it's not just without penalty; it's you count as being stationary. Which uh, there's some models or some units that basically can double their like they can double like, their firepower, like aggressors. Yeah, like aggressors. Or, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I actually played against a uh, uh, ultramarine force with uh, aggressors, and when you combine. The minus one AP from tactical doctrine with the ability to move and double f- and double tap with everything. It's really scary. They put out a ridiculous amount of firepower. And then uh, finally, white scars. Again, they are the ones that they want to get into assault. So theirs is limited to uh, the as- assault doctrine, which is a little bit of a, a balance. Again, they have to wait until turn three because before it becomes really available to them while assault doctrine is active when resolving an attack made with a melee weapon by a model with his ability in a unit turn uh or by a model with his ability in a unit that made a charge move or performed a heroic uh intervention this turn add one to the damage so that yeah now your assault uh centurions that charged are doing a ridiculous amount of damage per hit and they can charge and they can uh advance and charge so that that gets their movement to a normal level, basically, mm-hmm. and just makes them really nasty. And oh, and they've got the extra attack on the charge because of heroic assault. Well, and, and it kind of works well for them too because unless you're running like a bike list, which who wants to run white scars bikes? Um, it's going to take you turn three to really get into assault anyway. So it pairs pretty well because by the time you're in assault and hitting, you're you flipped over to the assault doctrines. And you just get all these extra benefits that go along with it. Yeah. And they've got, and of course, they also have a lot of stratagems that make them better. You know, they can use to get extra benefits when they assault. So, yeah. I'll, mm-hmm. So, so just by running through that down, you can see how these armies are going to play very differently than one another, even though it's the same codex. And it does really throw into stark relief. Like, why couldn't Blood Angels or Dark Angels be a supplement like this and just, Mm-hmm. It's like I really do wonder what are they going to do because Blood Angels and Dark Angels, besides the the different, I don't want to say better unit choices, but the different unit choices, like they don't like those two armies don't have centurions. There's a lot of there's yeah. just there's a number of things that they just don't have, but they also don't have combat doctrines. And it's like, what are you going to give them to make them comparable? Because right now they're lower tier Marine armies, like as as of this book. Yeah. That was always the, the, 
difficulty of balancing the Space Marine Codex and those non-Codex Space Marine chapters is once you added in the combat doctrines in 7th edition, what do you give them to... You can't give them things that give them the flexibility. Like, honestly, like the White Scars abilities is exactly what I would give Blood Angels, but you can't just give them the White Scars abilities because now they're the same. So I, I don't know. I... I know I've been on this horse a lot, but I really do kind of wish they just rolled all of the Space Marine chapters into the into this and done supplements. Like, because then it just would give everybody access to more things, and you could easily balance one book as opposed to trying to balance one book and then effectively five other slightly different Space Marine books at this point. Yeah, yeah. And the I honestly, I think, of the three non-standard chapters, Space Wolves would be the hardest to do because they do not fit this structure at all. Sure. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have to be given something comparable to to this to make them very... I mean, the sagas kind of work that way. Not yeah. like exactly like that, but the sagas are kind of what give them their feel of like, we're the giant heroes type thing. Just it- like the doctrine to here give them the flexibility it kind of makes me wonder since they didn't you know they they could have rolled in blood angels dark angels into this book if they had wanted to like this would have been the time and just announced two extra supplements and then kept space wolves death watch Knights as their own thing because those three are significantly different enough they don't really fit this format but because they didn't roll up those armies into this it makes me wonder, like, we're in the middle of a giant plot-shifting meta-narrative. When we talk about, like, you know, the Civil War aspect of this, what if it, what if Blood Angels get cut off and they become their own faction, or Dark Angels get revealed as the traitors they are, and <laughs> kind of have to be their own faction? Like, it kind of makes me wonder, like, what's narratively coming up if they've took this opportunity to not roll things into one one book? What what's coming up ahead that might fit into that and kind of explain why they didn't do that. Well, and it's funny you mentioned that because like blood angels, um, uh, guy Haley wrote a book, uh, devastation of ball, which basically talks about, um, you know, kind of after what happened after the whole shield of ball campaign and high fleet, I think it was Leviathan moves on towards the ball system itself. And it's basically the blood angels calling in, Every single, uh, successor chapter for one valiant last stand to protect the home, the home world. And they do end up barely like kind of pulling it out, especially because the Indomitus Crusade shows up like near the end. And here's a whole bunch of reinforcements in the form of Primaris Marines, which, uh, it, it's a good read. I recommend it. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, it does like you get to have Gabriel Seth talking about like, you do realize they're replacing us, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but yeah, there's, I, I think about that and, or, but anyway, uh, to the point is that, uh, basically Dante, uh, is chosen by Bobby G to be the regent of the part of the Imperium that's on the far side of the Great Rift. Yeah. Because there's only like the one passageway, the safe passageway near Vigilus to get through. So it's like, well, we need, we can't, you can't count on support from Terra, not because we don't want to help, but because it's just very difficult to get to you. So 
we trust you to handle things. Yeah, there's no reason why we couldn't have a Blood Angels book that basically says, okay, so this is how they're handling things. Right. Well, and and there's obviously there was uh, there's precedent for that because during the Horus Heresy, that's effectively what the Ultramarines did. We're here on the ass end of the galaxy. Uh, We're going to set up our own empire. And uh, if we win, we'll rejoin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's that's what they did. So it's like, uh, I just think it'd be interesting because that would that would narratively explain why they have remained separate and why they didn't get rolled into this new, you know, into these books. And it, it would also give them a little more personality and fluff to be like, OK, no, Blood Angels really are their own thing. And they're they're more different than the other Space Marine chapters and really have their own, you know, reason for for being separate and and all these things. And I just think that would be, I think that'd be a fun thing to do. Mm -hmm. Now, speaking of things being separate or the same, I also wanted to talk about how uh, they handled successors in this. And I thought this was really cool Mm -hmm. um, in that if you are an ultramarine, like it used to be like, I'm an ultramarine successor chapter, which basically just means I'm ultramarines. It it was a different color. Yeah. I was ultramarines with a different color and I could use ultramarines characters and just say I was ultramarines. Now, you can say, and again, this is going to get more into, like, you would choose it more for a narrative reason, because, like, if you're going tournament play, just unless you're wanting to build your own chap, your own uh, successor chapter tactic, although, again, this would get into that, so it, it does matter. If you choose to be a successor chapter, you get access to the stratagems, you get access to the warlord traits, you do not get access to the characters, you do not get access to any units that are specific to uh, your parent, your founding chapter. You also do not get access to that chapter's relics by default, which I like. Mm-hmm. And there's a strategy you can like spend command points to have a strategy that says, "Hey, they trust you have done a well, a good enough job as a successor chapter that that for this campaign they're going to entrust you with one of their relics, but it's going to cost you to do it." Instead, they have basically a I don't want to say a lesser set of relics because in many ways they're on par with what most relics do. Yeah, but they're just different. They're different, and they're. Uh, in some way, it's interesting because it's like it's war gear that you used to be able to like just take on a commander or a character. Like I'm thinking like fourth, fifth edition, even sixth mm-hmm. edition stuff. But things like uh, artificer armor or a master crafted weapon or digital weapons are special issue war gear, which is basically relics for chapters that don't have relics. But then they they do have like each chapter has its own then like kind of extra ones. Like, uh, Ultramarines have the Sunwrath pistol, which is it replaces a plasma pistol with a, a better version of a plasma pistol. Imperial Fists have, uh, the Arak Aquila, which gives you a four up invulnerable save and, uh, a five up feel no pain against, uh, mortal wounds in the psychic phase. So it is stuff that fits the feel of the chapter, but is not a in like a storyline wise chapter relic for the Imperial fist. So I, I like how they've handled that. So it's like you fight like an Imperial fist, but you aren't one. So you don't like, you can't use captain Lysander and you can't use our relics. Yeah, I do like that. That's a, it's an, it's another way to kind of further distinguish them, make them, you know, give you a little more tactical options. 
yeah, like if you want to if you want to get access to the heavy hitters, you do this. But if you want to get access to specific war gear or certain things, yeah, you you do this way. Like I I think they built this where it's super super flexible, and that's the thing that I'm most impressed about. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, and the fact that it took him seven well, books to do it, <laughs> sure. Well, but like honestly, like when you look at all of this, like layers of complexity with successor chapters, chapter tactics, and combat doctrines. The fact that there's really only like one or two sets of themes that are like up here to like blow the curve and be overpowered is actually kind of impressive. True, true. And yet all of them seem to have their place. Yeah. And how many memes did we see like as soon as the what <laughs> what the uh, uh, Imperial Fist and Salamanders could do like showed the the Imperial they're like the Iron Hands player suddenly like switching armies. Yeah. And then maybe switching armies again. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I think if you're chasing the meta and you're just wanting to play the 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 best, most powerful version of it, Iron Hands is probably where you're going to wind up. But you can be top tier competitive with almost any of these builds. Like, there's a build in there for any of those six that could win you tournaments. Yeah, absolutely. And again, each one's going to dictate how how you play the army, which an iron like. An Imperial Fist list is not going to look like an Iron's Hands list, is not going to look mm-hmm. like a Raven Guard list. And that's that's exactly what you want, is you want these to play very differently. And it wasn't until now that I think they've really captured it. And they managed to make the army very, very viable. Yeah. Uh, now, I will say that I don't think all units necessarily shared in that viability. Uh, Primaris units are definitely better. Oh, and, yes. And not because of any, like, one rule that makes them better, but it's just, like, with the extra things that have been given to Marines, it, like, it just makes it that much clearer that, you know, like, no, no, Primaris are just better. Yeah. Yeah, uh, agreed. I Just with all of the, all of the new toys, the fact that they have two wounds, the fact that they get better guns, like, you're... When you looked at it before, before you got the the Devastator Doctrine, for example, sure, one you know AP minus one one damage, it's better than the other one, but it's not significantly better. Now it's AP minus two. Okay, that now you're starting to get into range where this really matters mm-hmm. and is really like just exponentially better. Because I mean, we've talked about it before. It's a D six, you know, it's a D six uh, arm, you know, curve on the the bell curve. So anytime you can go down that bell curve one or two more, you're you're exponentially increasing your effectiveness. Oh yeah, and then with the uh, addition of um, infiltrators and incursor squads, which infiltrators we got with Shadow Spear, but incursors completely new. Mm-hmm. And again, being able to uh, basically set up anywhere on the board. You know, with as long as you're more than nine inches away from the enemy deployment zone gives you a decent amount of board control and it gives Primaris something not quite exactly, but I mean, it gives you something akin to scouts. And you also have you have that kind of thing like the Invictor Warsuit and Eliminators, you know, it gives you the kind of board control that Marines have. And we haven't even talked about the, the change to drop pods, which I think people like perked up when they saw the change to drop pods which uh if you haven't followed it it is you are now immune like your units don't 
apply as far as like the tactical reserves rule if they're in a drop pod. Yeah. Which, Which is, is huge. Cool. Yeah. It doesn't fix some of the other problems with the drop pod, but yeah, it they, does. Yeah, they explicitly punted on the doors thing, which is annoying. <laughs> yeah, but it does allow a drop pod army or a drop pod heavy army to be very effective, which is mm-hmm. which is cool. And it, it makes the drop pod a viable choice again. But I do think some of the thunder of that has been stolen by these infiltrating uh, Primaris units that can do kind of the same thing, but better. Yeah. But yeah, with with the addition of those, with the addition of the you've got the Invictor War suit and you have the Redemptor, so you've got a couple of uh, Primaris e Dreadnought like options. Uh, with the addition of the uh, the Executioner, which gives you some massive firepower potential, even more so than you had with the Repulsor, which was already made out of gun. Yeah. Uh, you don't see a lot of need for regular Marines. And, uh, and I think it's funny that the only way that like regular Marines are really showing up is you still see some scouts and scouts still Mm -hmm. like having sniper weapons makes a big difference. And, and also, yeah, being dirt cheap helps. And then, uh, if you take a Marine and you wrap him in another Marine and kind of make him a little bit bigger than a Primaris, you get a a Centurion. Give him a Marine Snuggie. Yeah. It is a little frustrating. So that's the one thing that Primaris do not have yet. They don't have a viable assault unit. And I think that's why Centurions, especially the assault Centurions, uh, were still, are, are such linchpin army, you know, linchpin units to some of these competitive armies. Because you just completely lack that assault punch otherwise. You get it a little bit with aggressors, but I think it's D3 with their power fist, so it's not quite as good um, than the flat damage that, that Centurions do. I think once they get like an assault Primaris Marine unit and basically like assault Terminators that are good, uh, yeah, I don't really know what the niche for old Marines is going to be legacy. Yeah. I mean, maybe, I don't know. Like it's, it's really hard for me to envision them saying, we're going to take what was our most popular line, a model that models that everybody has and that they have entire armies of, and just completely move them to legacy. That, that seems a bit extreme. (laughs) Well, I don't think they will move them to legacy. I think the player base will, move them there sort of sure sure uh, uh, the other thing we didn't mention was the uh the oh shoot no the non-repulsor transport oh the impulsor the impulsor yes I've, too many <laughs> too many names of things too many so, ul- ins and yeah. ulcers uh, but yeah like we finally have a non 300 point loaded with weapon primaris transport uh that that's going to be huge too because now like you said before like you kind of had like well five man tax squad and a rhino or a razorback is still cheaper than a than a you know more mobile than a primaris unit but now it's like a five man primaris unit and an impulsor eh, just about as good yeah like i don't know they're, they're really closing all the loopholes of like areas where old marines had had a place uh, well, there, there's one place they definitely still have the Tech Marine manning the Thunderfire Cannon. Yeah, but I mean, we have, we're, we're, again, we're not seeing him completely out there, but we now have a Primaris Tech Marine in Iron Hand, uh, Iron, Iron Master Furos. Iron yeah. Father Furos. We have an assault ish uh, 
Primaris Marine in uh, you know in Shrike. We've got uh, the Iron Fist dude, Torg, whatever the hell his name is, or Tor- with Gerdon, yep, with basically Centurion armor because he's got a power fist and a craft cannon, like. It, Right, it's kind of the wall. Yeah, like, and and I I truthfully think they're doing this a smart way, as opposed to just releasing here's your new Primaris army. Sure. They're kind of piecemealing it out little by little to kind of keep the Space Marine interest high. Oh yeah, no, I, I fully admit that people would have been livid if they had just immediately right. replaced their entire Space Marine army. But yeah, it feels like it's happening, and then I don't know. I don't know. There are things they could certainly do, I think, to make old Space Marines viable. I just don't know what the appetite is to do it. And I'll be honest, like the Primaris models are a lot cooler. Well, they are. They are. I mean, they also have the benefit of like newer production, newer design, like newer design tools. Yeah. And just like better proportions. I mean, they feel like they're really it's like Primaris are what Space Marines really should have been anyway like scale wise mm-hmm. oh, okay to be fair space marines back in like second third ed were what they needed to be scale wise the true. scale just keeps on getting bigger that is absolutely true Agreed. absolutely Agreed. true but uh oh and and speaking of assault uh characters uh adrax agatone the uh oh the new yeah. salamander um so Weapon skill two, ballistic skill two, six wounds, five attacks, so six on the charge because of uh, a heroic assault. Um, he's armed with a with a thunder hammer that is uh, strength times two, AP minus three, four damage. Mm-hmm. And you add one to wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by models and friendly salamander units within six inches of this model. And if that unit made a charge move, was charged or... So whenever Heroic Assault would kick in, he also adds one to wound rolls. So good. Those new characters are all good. Like, they're all... They all look good. Like, the models are neat. Like, I... Well, they have to make them good to get people to put them on the table. Honestly, I'd say this, like, the only... Of the new Primaris characters, because if you assume that, you know, Calgar, the, you know, and the other ones, Khan is the only one that I look at and go, eh, it's just kind of a Primaris Marine. Like, he's, he's the one who seems like he's lacking. He doesn't feel like he has as much personality as the others do, I guess. And actually, you know, talking, if you also want to talk a dedicated assault unit, um, strangely enough for troop wise, uh, incursors might be your go to choice. They have paired combat blades, which gives them extra attacks on sixes. Mm-hmm. And they've got two attacks base, so add one when they charge. So a unit of five could be getting, you know, at, with the one extra attack from the sergeant, like 16 attacks, and then any sixes to hit. So figure probably 17, 18 attacks. <laughs> I mean, they they can actually get some work done. Well, and they're also, uh, I guess it's not necessarily a side. So, so they also can take the haywire mines, but I guess that's only against really against vehicles that it does the extra damage. Yeah. And it's actually funny uh, that this book has managed to make another Primaris unit, Reavers, kind of obsolete by adding in infiltrators and incursors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't really know. Yeah. I don't really know what the role for Reavers are right now. I mean, the the one benefit of Reavers is if you take grav shoots, they can deep strike and they can apply a leadership penalty because they're terror troops. But this army doesn't really have a lot of stuff that synergizes off of that. 
So, yeah, you're really almost just better off taking in, you know, infiltrators and incursors. Yeah. But yeah, it's like you're really, what you're really starting to see is builds are shifting towards more Primaris and then competitively, especially uh, dipping into Forge World and trying to get access or using Forge World to get access to Leviathan Dreads, Sakarans, Xiphons, things like that. And even then, Xiphons aren't all that necessary because w- the flyers are actually pretty decent that they've got. Yeah, that's a that's a good army. Like, I, this is how you update how you update an army. Like they they made just about everything in the book better. No, absolutely. And there were a couple of simple like army wide rules. Like it wasn't this this doesn't feel like it's a drastic makeover of the book. Like it just feels like they went in and they they figured out what they needed to do to make it play a little bit different and give it a unique feel and then you know just made those changes and it and it impacts a lot. Like this army feels this book feels a lot different than the old one, but it doesn't it plays a lot different. It doesn't feel like they made a lot of changes, which is good. Like the the feel of the army still is there, but they everything just feels better. Yeah, and and even though we're saying like yeah, it definitely makes the Primaris units feel even better i do think it is kind of a rising tide lifts all boats because if you played a non-primaris army it's still going to you're still going to see similar improvements absolutely yeah absolutely yeah if you still wanted to take old characters and tack marines and dreadnoughts and things you still get all these benefits um it's just again it's like the as you talk about like that that bell curve of it being a d6 like Basically, you're one notch up that curve with uh, with Primaris stuff. So, but you could still build a very competitive, very good army with no Primaris. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it'll and yeah, competitively, you're probably better using Primaris. Just they're a little bit more efficient. They are going to be a little bit more expensive, but the extra wounds and some of the other benefits will make up for it. But yeah, you can run a perfectly fine army. And you still get all the benefits from Bolter Discipline and Heroic Assault and Combat Doctrines and then all the other abilities that you have. The only thing, like, unless you have stuff that keys purely off of Primaris or Redemptor or, you know, something like that, um, you're going to be fine. And it's like you're going to get the going to get the benefits. And you will also have access to things that they don't have, like even cheaper transports and drop pods. So, I mean, it's like you still have some tools and you can still have kind of the flexibility of old Marines, but don't be surprised if you don't see a lot of them on the table in a tournament setting. Um, in fact, I even think it was kind of interesting that when white scars, like real builds started coming out, it wasn't white scar bikes. Nobody really yeah. cares about white scar bikes. No, because those benefits, the benefits they have work really good with jump packs and they work really good with slow infantry units that are dedicated assault units. So, like that's why you're seeing the best build with them is, you know, uh a uh I always forget what the name of the detachment is, the heavy support detachment. A spearhead. Spearhead with like uh the one I've seen a lot of is a captain with a jump pack and a thunder hammer, so basically a discount smash captain, and three units of assault centurions. Okay, that'd be a vanguard because they're elites. Or a vanguard. They're oh they're okay. They're elites. Okay, sorry. But um but yeah, like that's a really good thing to splash in. And, and in a case where you don't care about the specific combat doctrines, but you want to keep the, uh, 
but you want to keep your, your chapter tactics, you mix that in with Iron Hands, infantry support, and a couple of dreadnoughts. It's a pretty stout list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you lots of flexibility in this book. But I also, I do think that having... It'd be one thing if these armies, like, you wouldn't really need a supplement in this case, or you could get it all in one supplement if you just had, like, a... With Ultramarines, Ultramarines, I think, could definitely stand being a supplement just because they have so many characters. Mm-hmm. But all the rest of them... I think back to the Angels of Death book they did <laughs> back yep. in like sixth, I, I believe. Oh, that where it, like it added the extra relics and it added other oh, things yeah, yeah, yeah. and formations yeah. for like all the various founding chapters. And I'm like, if it was just a page that had like warlord traits for your like extra warlord traits for your chapter and then the extra like doctrine plus ability where if you build it all, you get like in this chapter, you get this extra doctrinal ability if it had just been that i think you could have gotten away with like one maybe two supplements but instead we have a core codex which has chapter tactics warlord traits two sets of actually three sets of warlord traits one one set that is all chapter specific one set that is regular marines one set that is for phobos armor marines and then a you know, all the stratagems and like four pages of stratagems and uh two pages uh, or like two lists of psychic disciplines. And then each one of the supplements has two, two pages of relics, its own psychic discipline, at least two pages of stratagems and like another set of warlord traits. It is a lot to try to encompass in your head. Yeah. But like it's one of the things I like about it, those you mentioned the best builds for a lot of these are going to be mono chapter builds. Yes. So if you're playing Iron Hands, you really just need the codex and the supplement. Yeah. Um, you don't really need to carry all six books with you. No, so. you don't need to carry all six books with you. But it's also like if you are a player who, let's say you're you're going to sure. tournaments, keeping track of what all these different army sub armies can do in your head mm-hmm. can be a lot. Oh, absolutely. I, I gave up on trying to do that a while ago. Yeah, but this this is just like exponentially worse. Yeah. True. For, for well, and as a TO, region. like it, it makes it a nightmare too, because now we have to be aware of all of these different things and be able to rule on how all of these weird different corner case interactions will be. So well well no, no as it a, does make it harder. As a TO, what you do is you and you enforce the rule that you have to bring the rules for your army. If you don't, you lose the rules dispute. <laughs> sure, but even if somebody has the supplement there and says, hey, how does this combat doctrine with this character ability with this stratagem work, it's it's an extra layer of complexity and interactions that for TOs that we have to be aware of as well. Yeah. And having the books available will help, but it's still a lot of just extra things you have to be aware of. (laughs) No, uh, agreed. Absolutely agreed. And I guess one final thing to touch on is, are we sad that uh, Chaos Space Marines got designed apparently by a different team and didn't get this treatment? (laughs) So I will, so I will uh, say what I think. And then I will say what the response was when I mentioned this on stream was, Yes, I do, and apparently that makes me a whiny chaos player, <laughs> uh, which I don't dispute. I'm not disputing that. I would love to see chaos get have gotten this treatment as well because I, I think chaos marines 
they've spent so much time with these two factions over the 30 plus years of 40k that these two factions are the ones that have the most available sub factions and the most different unique play styles and just the biggest fan bases. And I would have loved to have also been able to get this much flavor and many, this many options out of the chaos Marine book. Oh yeah, totally agreed. And it would, yeah, it'd be nice to have, I mean, you could even shrink it down to maybe like, cause you're, you're dealing with nine legions. You could even like, well, actually only seven because two of them, death guard and thousand sons have their own books. Absolutely. Right. Um, like, Blood Angels, Dark Angels, and Space Wolves. Yeah. With the different supplements, too, you could have done things like, again, and I hate hate invoking the 3-5 Codex because it just feels redundant at this point, but you could have done things like they did in 3-5 where it's like, Iron Warriors, hey, by the way, here are your Basilis and... You know, uh, other tank heavy siege tanks that you can take as a heavy support choice. Um, here's the rules for uh, renegade guardsmen that would go with, I guess, word bearers or alpha legion or something. Like you could have thrown in those special units to make those armies flesh out just a little bit more to make them feel a little bit more unique, and it it wouldn't have been that much extra. So I'm yeah. a little bit disappointed the design philosophy shifted so radically within just a very short release window yeah and it, it it can be really telling when you like see two like yeah two books very released relatively speaking like within you know six months of each other but they might as well have been designed years apart well i mean let's let's think about it the phobos all of the phobos marine stuff and the new chaos units were all released in the same box set yeah so they were all released at the same time and it feels like these two codexes were are barely playing the same game. Um, and it's a little disappointing. But I know that in, you know, a year, two years, three years down the line, they'll hopefully continue with this design aesthetic and redo the chaos books. And, you know, I'll pay $50 for another codex. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it'll be interesting <laughs> to see, like, because, I mean, we see some of this, like, like Age of Sigmar, they have... They're they're on like their second iteration of the Stormcast Eternals book, and, and there are like other books that have been like we came out with this one during you know Age of the first iteration of Age of Sigmar, mm-hmm. and now even though it's we're not technically a new edition, um, we're retiring that old book and doing a new one, and now we're starting to see that with Eighth Edition. But I do think it's kind of disappointing we had Chaos Space Marine Codex 2.0 to bring in all the stuff from Shadow Spear. But it didn't bring in the design mentality that made it yeah. into this book. And yeah, I would love to see supplements for each of those. I'd also like to see things like that. This would be very unpopular for like Black Legion players, but it's like, let's take the four cult Marines out, uh, like cult units out of the book, leave mm-hmm. the Plague Marines in Death Guard, leave the thousands, the Rubric Marines in Thousand Sons. If you want to bring those in, you bring in those armies, like you bring in detachments from those. And then yeah. we move the noise marines to the emperor's children supplement and berserkers to the world eaters supplement. And then you don't get the weirdness of, and these are my alpha legion. Uh, well, they don't have this problem anymore, but like, these are my alpha sure. legion corn berserkers. It's like, no. <laughs> but yeah. Cause there was, well, cause there was a stretch where like alpha legion berserkers were better than world eater berserkers. Yep. That's, like, that's a, that's a problem. Like <laughs> if you're going to have dedicated units, to a specific legion they that needs to be the best version of them 
It's like the weirdness in seventh edition when, you know, you took a riptide wing and a space marine army and they were better riptides. And if you just took them in a tower army. So uh, thankfully GW has corrected the majority of those design mistakes that I'll call them or those, those weird cases. It just hurts a little bit more because chaos is my army. And it's like, we were so close to being designed this way and there was clearly a shift and we didn't benefit from the shift. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, at least they have given you uh bolter discipline and yeah. the equivalent, like it's a hateful assault, I think, is the chaos marine. Yep. So and it's like you fight like Marines, although again, like with Blood Angels and Dark Angels, you don't have anything equivalent to the doctrines. The new like the new Chaos Marine book is is more equivalent to like where Blood Angels and Dark Angels are than like where Grey Knights are, you know, where Grey Knights are right now. So I'm definitely not saying that, oh, I hate this book and I want them to redo it. It's just there are good things in that book, but it's just like it's a little frustrating. It's just like when uh, in in the end of seventh, when they came out with the uh, Trader Legions book and you got all of these really cool, fluffy Legion rules for your legions. And then like six months later, they switched editions and all that became invalid. And it's like, I just want to have the fun toys that the other armies have. <laughs> Nope, nope. You forgot how to use drop pods the minute you went rogue. Sorry. Uh, Chuck them all out the side of the ship. See, that's frustrating because I would love to have drop pods. Space Marines (laughs) have like drop pods and won't use them now and we can't use... Anyway, sorry. (laughs) Well, maybe maybe the cast players learned that drop pods are a hassle and people don't know what to do with doors. (sighs) (laughs) We'll drop their pods for food. Uh Ah, uh, so yeah, I think that's a kind of a good note. <laughs> bitching about the chaos, <laughs> the lack of yeah. chaos. Before. We turned we turned this into a chaos bitching session. Woohoo, woohoo! But no, no, I think I think it's to leave on a positive note. Happy with the design for the the space Absolutely. marines. Definitely, you can see definitely can see the shift towards Primaris. Uh, to answer the letter from Jersey Journal earlier, yes, I do think old school tactical marines and so non Primaris marines are getting phased out, but they're doing it in such a way that it's just like making the Primaris ones the better choice in many cases, but the old ones still viable. Definitely. And, and lots of neat army build possibilities and hopefully they can keep on top of the balance, any balance issues that might pop up. All right. So, uh, we'll, uh, head out with a little bit of hobby progress. Um, I have I finally got a, about as much paint off of the um, uh, the Mahler fiends I have as I think I possibly could to the point where the paint remover was stripping the paint off of the brush handle on the brush I was using to apply Ooh. it. It's, it's good paint remover, although it can only do like so much. So I've had to do some like cleanup with like a hobby knife. Uh, to get into like some of the nooks and crannies and and peel away paint and try to clean up some of the scratches from wire brushing. So uh, for the most part, I think it'll 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 look fine once I prime them. I do need it's to just get weathering for chaos. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Although the feet, the the little Mahler fiend, the little tiny Mahler fiend rear feet, which are just adorable by the way, uh, they still had some glue and pieces of old base on them. So, uh, there's not much that paint remover is going to do to that. So I had to break out my Dremel and <laughs> clean the bottoms of their feet off, but I've got them to the point where they're standing nicely. I do need to order actual like large oval bases for them 
because I kind of need them for my renegade. I, I am going to need to get this done for my renegade army or renegade open army uh, and then get my uh, Lord Discordant built. So I've got three to four weeks to get them, three and a half weeks to get them built and painted along with painting a couple more units of noise Marines, which uh, again, I'm probably going to give the, the noise Marines kind of the same treatment. I'm going to give the Mahler fiends is appreciate. I've already got them primed. So appreciate them white and then hit them with uh, volipus pink through an airbrush. And then uh, any paneling cleanup I'll do with like the emperor's children, pink, like layer paint. But uh, mm-hmm. it should make getting the base colors down much faster. Nice. So for myself, as of as of with four weeks to go before the Renegade open, which was like Saturday, uh, I had my army assembled but had no paint on any of the models. Uh, so I had to basically paint an entire 1500 point army in a month. That seems like a daunting task, but I've done basically the first four of like six steps in like two days. So I've got three and a half weeks now to do the rest of it, uh, which is the detail work on the armor panel and stuff. Uh, GW put up a really good alpha Legion Horus heresy, how to paint video. Uh, and I've breezed through like the first steps. And now I'm on like the final step of, well, the main step of putting the armor color down and then the details after that. But uh, hopefully it'll, hopefully it'll come out and look like I want to do Cause I'm basically doing a 30 K alpha Legion army that basically the story is going to be for the large armies. I'm taking this to LVO as well is basically they were fighting on a planet, got sucked into the warp and came out in the 41st millennium. And now it's this alpha Legion 30 K her- heresy our army that I'm running as a chaos Marine army. So like I'm using the forge world out as, uh, as a demon prince, I've got a unit of pre- uh, pre-heresy corn berserkers. I've got a unit of uh, noise Marines, that I'm going to run in there. So I think it's going to be a really cool army once I get it all done, but uh, it's a lot of, a lot of painting I got to do over the next couple of weeks. You like liking how the contrast is going over silver though. I like that a lot. It's uh, it definitely it's, it's definitely better now that I've gone through and like done kind of the steps and seen what GWs are, because I've had some issues in the past with contrast paints, not going over the, base coats that I've put down as well as I've liked. And I don't know if it's just because I'm not shaking the paints as much and mixing them together. I'm not sure if it's just, you know, I'm not good at this. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if it's just one of those where like, I'm not doing the right brush control, but going through the steps that I've gone through so far of, you know, spray painting it and then putting down a layer and then hitting it with like a glaze of contrast paints has kind of built me up to the point where I think I've have a better understanding of how the paints work. So I'm liking it so far and it's made it a snap to, like I said on, on Sunday, I basically went through and put the base layers down and hit everything with contrast paint for, you know, a, an entire 1500 point army in a day. So, uh, it's definitely making the work go a lot faster. Cool. Dennis. Well, for me, I'm kind of like Kevin. Uh, I think last time I talked about my foray into getting knights for chaos. <laughs> um, so I'm painting them, and I wanted to keep them in the theme of the Havoc, so I'm using that same um, Magos Purple contrast paint on them. And yes, on flat surfaces, it does pool up more, so you just have to see where it starts. And it's kind of weird. You have to kind of attend to the paint to make sure whenever you see a pool kind of spread it out a little bit and 
it's a very different way of painting. So I don't know if I fully recommend it, but it's, it's got some interesting colors on it or results. So, so I guess when the, you guys see the Knights at Renegade, that that's how they will be done. I know, Rob, you said you were going to be using the contrast paints through an airbrush, which probably would have been smarter on my part, but I've already done it this way, so I'm going to finish it out. <laughs> no, and, and and we were talking before this show on like how it's going to give kind of more of a weathered look. Yeah. And I, I think that'll yeah. look fine, too. Yeah, I think they'll look neat when done. So I'm I'm kind of getting all the purple on them. And then next thing is to get all the gold trim and then just get the rest of the details. That's that's what's going to take forever is just getting all the yep. details painted <laughs> as Kevin's over there agreeing. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, I guess the only other thing I, I did in progress is um, I think last weekend I was actually at the Warhammer Citadel when they were having their big celebration for 500 stores and picked up good old Lieutenant Amulus. Ah, the British pronunciation. I know I had to do that once. (laughs) Uh, And and since I didn't really pay attention too much, I was very surprised he was 100% push fit. Really? Even to get him onto the base is push fit. Very nice. So he's put together, and you, I used zero drops of glue. So the uh, the the GW store here in Scottsdale had their anniversary a couple weeks ago, and I picked up the Lieutenant Joven, which is the the one who's like got a chain sword, like cutting through an orc. Uh, I haven't opened him yet, but I doubt he's push fit. <laughs> right. <laughs> No, so so you just got to get a collection of these, Kevin, and, and make your your whole lieutenant army. Yeah, well, like I'll be honest, like with all of the models that they've released, as far as like the the you know the Shrike and and Iron Father, Pharaohs, stuff like that, I, I'm finding that I'm like God, I kind of want to pick all these models up because they're cool looking models. So I've kind of been thinking, I'm like, you know, for like for a friendly event or something like that, I could probably do something where I'm like, yeah, I'll just run two command detachments. Uh, Supreme Command attachments of just like all the named characters and then like maybe a small group of like Primaris Marines just to like balance it out. But I think it'd just be fun because the models are so cool. Yeah, see, you say stuff like that. I've already had the, the air quote dream of doing all the Phoenix Lords in an army, mm-hmm. which would take up two Supreme Command attachments. But you don't one, don't have many points after that. And two, uh, some of the Eldar Phoenix Lords are looking a little old. Yeah, so they're maybe a little dated. They, maybe well, the when they come the... out with new plastic Phoenix Lords, more than just Jane's are. I mean, yeah. hint, hint, GW. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Is like the uh, all of the different like Space Marine characters. Like they only really they're force multipliers. So like by themselves, yeah, they're cool looking models. Like yeah, dude with Thunderhammer, dude with the Power Fist. But like it's all of the other benefits they get. So it's like in a friendly event, I can't really see somebody looking at it and going, oh, you decided to run like 10 lieutenants and, you know, these other characters. Yeah, I'm going to stomp your army because like it's not going to be that hard to beat. <laughs> right. But it's like they're they're cool looking models. Like, oh, they're very cool. looking. I have the strike model and I'm like, because it was so freaking cool. <laughs> 
So yeah, so that that's pretty much what I'm doing. I've got those three nights to finish out, and then I'm going to actually paint the mask because for a narrative event we're having, we're doing it at our local store. Um, yeah, I need needed the mask to be in the army because they're a little better than the herald, and they fit with a the theme and the points. So nice. I have to also get that painted within a week. Uh, that that you can fun. get you can get this done. Yeah, I'll get them all done. So. That is what I've got going. Alrighty. Well, I said that kind of wraps up our show. Um, I think we'll have, uh, I will have, uh, let's see. Next episode, I'll talk about how Midmo Maelstrom went and that'll be our last pre renegade episode. And then two weeks after that will be our renegade open coverage, which is always a blast. So, um, yeah. So we've got November is a busy month. Then it's the road to Midwest Conquest 2020. So, and, uh, registration for Midwest Conquest 2020 will be opening up soon. We're kind of ironing down some details at the last minute on what kind of internet connectivity, because we would like to be able to offer a streaming table this year. Uh, we'll see. For the Lord Marshall TV. Yes. 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 So, uh, we're hoping that'll be a thing. Uh, we'll have more details because, and we will, it may adjust how much we do our pricing for. So again, we will, we will make sure to communicate that as soon as we know. Uh, so watch this space or I guess listen to this space because, uh, watching this would be bad, you know, bad radio. Um, so unless people like waveforms, yeah, that's true. You might really like waveforms. Uh, but, uh, anyway, so that's coming up, but, uh, in the meantime, from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm Rob. Kevin. Dennis. Good night, good gaming, and seven books equals one neat army. Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.